Hey there, this is Dennis Anyone with Dennis Hensley. It's a podcast about making things up, making things happen. I love talking to different creative people about how they do their thing and how they manage it all with the ups and downs and keep it going. So this week, my guest is writer Chuck Hayward. He's having a very big year. He's one of the writers. Actually, his title is story editor on the Netflix show Dear White People, and he also has two feature films coming out. The first one is a really raucous comedy called Fat Camp. And it's going to premiere at the L.A. Film Festival in June. We'll give you the details during the podcast. And there's another film coming out this fall called Stepsisters. That sounds like it's going to be really fun for people who like movies like Bring It On and Roll Bounce and that kind of fun stuff. So um, Chuck's hilarious and really fun. Uh, Before we get to that, I want to encourage you to go to DennisAnyone.net. When you're there, you can donate to my virtual tip jar. It helps me cover the expenses that come with doing the podcast, and I always really appreciate it. You can see photos that go with different episodes. In this episode, Chuck describes the new tattoos that he got, and I snapped a couple pictures of them, and I will post them on the podcast page on DennisAnyone.net. Uh, you can also buy stuff like my books, Misadventures in, in the 213 and Screening Party. There are links uh, on, on DennisAnyone.net if you uh, want to dig those up. I mean, gosh, it was a long time ago, but they're funny. They hold up. All right. Um, also, I'd love it if you like the Dennis Anyone Facebook page. You can follow me on Twitter at Hensley Dennis. And if you love movies, you should listen to my friends Dave and Alonzo on Linoleum Knife. They're really hilarious, and um, they bicker and talk about movies, and they always give me a shout-out, which I always appreciate. Um, I guess that's it. Without any further ado, here is Chuck Hayward. Hey there, I am here in my friend Brett's apartment, which is kind of like Miracle Mile adjacent. He was nice enough to let me use it while I interviewed today's guest, Chuck Hayward. Hello. He's a screenwriter and a television writer, and I know him because we were in this cool diversity program together at the Writers Guild a couple of years ago, and you've had quite a year. You've gotten two feature films made, and you were a writer on Dear White People, which I'm obsessed with. Yes. It's so as, good. As am I. I'm obsessed with it, too. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not all the way through yet. I'm, I've only watched three episodes, but I, I'm in love with it. Yeah, it's, it was, it's by far the best job I've ever had in my whole life. Like, it was... Uh, the, the, the writers were fantastic. We all got along as a really supportive room, really funny. Like you just go there and laugh for 10 hours a day. And even when stuff got stressful, uh, it was, it, we, we just became, you know, switched into problem solving mode so we could get back to fun. And I just, I didn't know that work could be that enjoyable. Well, and it's doing, it's really getting great re- reviews and buzz. Are they going to, they're going to do a second season. We haven't heard yet from Netflix. Yes. They, I, they have a standard way. I'll jump period. off this building I, if they don't I, do a second season. I will be right behind you. We will <laughs> splatter on the, on the uh, pavement together. Um, um, and I'm, I saw the film when it came out and I feel like, correct me if I'm wrong, it feels like this covers some of the same plot-wise. In other words, it doesn't seem like that happened and now this is happening. It seems like uh, thematically or storyline-wise, it's... uh there's overlap. There's definitely overlap. Uh, I think what we are able to do more in the series than they were able to do in the uh, in the feature is really dissect a lot of those moments and see them from different people's perspectives right. and really get to the core of why people do what they do and what uh, you know what their insecurities and their fears are and how much like one of the big things that Justin and Yvette talked about when we were plotting out the season was um, identity versus. 
Uh, oh shit! See now, can I curse? Yeah, you can. Totally <laughs> curse. <laughs> no, thanks. Um, I, I can't remember the other word, but it was like identity versus uh, want or something like that. But it was it was really focused on who you are, being true to yourself, but then being very cognizant of how you're perceived by others and yes. whether the degree to which you let that influence how you behave and what choices you make. Yes, and it's and and, and that's you know as we get older we tend to be a little bit more comfortable in our own skin so we don't question what we do as much but when you're in college like you just want to fit in and if you yeah. and even if your um your persona is that of like a rabble rouser or somebody on the fringe you want right. to be that a hundred percent because you want to control your own narrative and and control how you're perceived by others and it can sometimes you can focus on on the perception of you more than yeah. the real you. And that's, that can get you into a lot of trouble, which I think yeah. that show that touches on nicely. Well, you get a sense for who these characters are. You like their brand. Mm-hmm. It's like, and then there's yeah. things about them and they're like, Oh shit, this is bad for my brand. Right. I mean, cause, cause it's, it plays with identity politics. Um, you, you mentioned Justin, that's the creator. Yeah. Justin Simeon, who is a fucking genius. And like he, he wrote and directed the feature film. Correct. And who's Yvette? Yvette Lee Bowser is uh, was our co-show runner. She's Fantastic. been in the biz. Like I'm so jealous of her. She she ran her first show, Living Single, at 27. Wow. So she's been in the game for over 20 years, and she looks 35. So you're like, how the fuck yeah. does that work? Um, and she was just um, unbelievably warm and nurturing and hilarious and just like inspirational figure yeah. to have in the room. Uh, she just sort of knew what to take seriously and what to let roll off your back. And it really, uh, it was kind of a master, between the two of them, it was a master class in how a show can be run efficiently, but also in a fun way and in a way that makes everybody feel heard and utilized. And, you know, they're, they're very good at finding what your, what your strong suits are, what your talents are and right. letting you, you know, let that freak flag fly. And it's, it's like the most comfortable I've ever felt in a room before and so I, I, I and on set too it was the same way so they hi, I mean they hired crew who all had great personalities and who were very collaborative and didn't because uh, sometimes there tends to be a rift on set between like the crew and the writers they sort of think we're like snotty like you've done people. your part yeah, yeah you've yeah. done your part get the hell out of our way right. we do the real work and this was kind of like we would have little sidebars with you know the deep with the camera department with the props with uh with with wardrobe and, and they would really want to they were really interested in making sure that everything that they did um serviced our vision but also brought their creativity into it so it was so collaborative and it was so like exciting to because sometimes i may maybe it's just that i've had more experience at this point but before when people would ask me questions on set i might, I might not know the answer i might not know like the best way to present an answer and this it just it flowed out of us so naturally because a we were in love with the material and b uh there was there weren't really power struggles like there was everybody was sort of doing their part right. for the for the greater good well the vision is very assured like it's like somebody's really got a vision here and it felt like everyone was on the same page yeah um you're the story editor on the show and i think right. this might be a great podcast i've never talked about this with anyone else the way that writing credits work in television, it means you're part of the writer's room, and, and but you've sort of, there's like a, you move there's up a as you go through your career, yeah. right? So basically, the way it's supposed to work is, and it doesn't always work this way, and I'll explain yeah. that in a minute, um, you start off as a staff writer, that's right. like the lowest level writer, then story editor, then executive story editor, 
then uh, oh, I didn't know about Executive Story. Yeah, ever. that's a that's a that's a big bump. Uh, and then co-producer, and then there's a bunch of producer levels that I don't exactly know the rank, ranking of. Right. But there's like supervising producer and consulting producer, um, and, and it just kind of dep- and then the highest is like co-executive producer and executive producer. But as story editor, is your job any different than being in the writers' room, like no. the staff writers? It's just yeah, more it's, of a, it's kind of a misnomer in yeah. title uh, because it sounds like you have a very like, specific get out of here while I edit the story. Exactly, but it's not like that. <laughs> yeah. We all come up with the stories together. Yeah. We all come up with the jokes together. We all write our scripts. We all do like it okay. is very much a uh, a group effort, and we all sort of are, are pulling the same amount of weight. Uh, but we you just have different titles because of based on your experience. Right. Now, again, the way it's supposed to work is you, you're a staff writer for one season, and then the next season you get promoted, and you're supposed to get promoted every season throughout your career, throughout, no matter what show you're on. Exactly. But in my case. Um, I was a staff writer on four shows. Right. So it was like I was never getting that bump. And I actually got offered another staff writing job before um, Dear White People that I, I turned down because I was like, I, no, I'm a story I need editor. my fucking bump. Yeah, I need my bump. Like I've had – at that point I had 45 episodes of television under my yeah. belt. And that is – you know, that's almost like I should be executive story editor level. And Justin, to his credit, and I can't thank him enough, was like – Come work on the show with uh, with me. We will we will make you. You will be a story editor. You will get your script fees. You will like we. This will, a this big, will be it's a, a financial home. bump and a credit bump. It's, exactly, financial bump, credit bump, and also it just it it's it's a marker of progress in a way that like because I've never been on a show that's gotten a second season. Right. So I, I, I know I, that feeling. You know that feeling exactly. <laughs> so there's been they're they're not incentivized necessarily. When right. I say they, I mean the producers of the studio. Right. When they, when you go to the new show, they're like, why should I give you the bump? We're yeah. just starting. You know? Exactly. But it's like yeah, but I bring a lot more to the table based yeah. on my level of experience than your average staff writer. That's supposed to be the entry level writer gig. Um, and so I, you know, that was the first time it was one of the, uh, I think that was the, the first time I turned down a, a big job. Right. Because what would that feel like to turn down that job and kind of gamble on yourself? It was scary, but it was also, I mean, my mom, uh, has told me for years, like, you got to know your worth. Um, <gasps> and I tend to be like, I'm such a team player that I'm like, fuck it. Like, I don't need the, the whatever. I just want to be a part. I just want to, you know, put me in the game coach. Uh, and this was a time where I had to be like, nah, dude, like I've, I've, I'm past that. I'm not above that, but I'm past that. You right. know what I mean? Like, I've, yes. I've done that. I've put in my time at that level. It's time for me to get the bump. These I mean. themes of sort of standing up for your value yeah. are the very resonant for me in the last few years. And, and I'm so glad for you that that worked out. Yeah, and it, it gets progressively easier as you get older and as you get more experience, but... It still feels like, oh, these are the important people. I'm saying no to the important people. Yeah. That, that that goes against like your gut, right? But it's also like you gotta, you know, people will treat you how you let them treat you, and so it's like you gotta you gotta say no. I demand this. Yeah, no, these are big themes that I relate to a lot. Um, one of the things I love about uh, Dear White People is the way it. I've, I've seen like three episodes so far, and each one sort of centers on a different character. Right. Does that kind of follow the, the rest of the episodes? Is, is yeah, it-, it does. And I think and this is why we'll call Justin a genius all the time. Like that is a very difficult storytelling structure well, because you end up having to shoot. You, you end up having to see the same scenes in multiple episodes, but from different perspectives. So you're shooting. 
you know, you might shoot the, let's say like the, the basement scene one way from Sam's perspective. And then next episode, you have to shoot the basement scene again from Reggie's perspective. And they have and to match. They have to match. So exactly. they didn't do that block shooting schedule where, you know, the, every script. No, so they had the, to match. Yeah. Shots. Because the directors are different from, from yeah, episode to episode. So, yeah. and I think it's guild rules that you can't have another director direct a scene in your episode. Right. So we had to do it kind of the old fashioned way, which I mean, that makes it so much harder for wardrobe. That makes it harder for hair, especially hair is a big thing right. on our show. As far as like establishing your identity as a black person, so uh, they're characters whose hair changed dramatically, and hair ha- hair and wardrobe had to make sure that like oh this has to match exactly the way we shot it, and it right. could have been it might have been something we shot last week, it might have been sh- something we shot two months ago. Yeah. So it's it's it kept everybody on their toes, and it really it but but and, and it's it's di- more difficult for the writers too because we have to sort of keep in our brain where every character is in relation to the story that we're telling at that time, and but but we were also invested in material that it was a lot easier than we thought and like and I, I credit Justin for this again like that like I said it's a difficult storytelling method he he made his job a lot harder and he totally rose to the occasion so it works so yeah. well I can't think of another show that's done it maybe there are can you it feels like he's sort of I can't think this. of one. I mean, it's like the Rashomon sort of style. Yeah. Like, you've definitely seen it before. But carried film. out through a season? Yeah, carried out through a season. I can't think of one. And of course, I'm, I'm, as soon as I leave here, I'll probably think of like three. Right. But uh, yeah, none off the top of my head. Well, what I love about it is it has, oh, I call it this thing that I, this little catchphrase that I have. It was shot, it seems to me like it was shot on the Empathy Cam 360. Okay. Which is something I invented in my head. But yeah. sometimes when you watch a movie or a show, you just care. Yeah, there's something about the way the camera captures human emotions, complicated emotion. I don't know. You just care, and sometimes you can see it from like the first shots. Yeah, and I feel like this had that because of the storytelling device. Because you get you see th- this point of view from one one story from one point of view, and then you see the other characters thing. Yeah, and you discover things about them. Yeah, absolutely. And one thing that I didn't, I didn't, I don't know if anybody else did, but when we were writing, when we were um, producing. I didn't see this, but Sam White is our main character, and she's, she's the person the host the radio show. Yeah, she hosts the radio show. She's played by uh, by uh, Logan. Uh, oh my gosh, I can't remember <laughs> what her last name, but uh, uh, she's fucking unbelievable. And when when you're able to. You're you're seeing most of the first part of the season through her perspective, even though you're seeing other characters. And by the end of the season, which I didn't realize until I watched the entire season you end up not liking her as much as you did at the beginning because you've seen oh, sorry. that's right sorry because you've seen all of her interactions with people from their perspectives and you're like oh she's not being the best person which and she like I thought the way she uh, the way that she did it was so brilliant because it um while she was on while her character was doing unlikable things you still love her because she portrays it with such Weight and yeah. and uh, and emotion, but you're like, yeah, dude. I was rooting for her at the beginning. Now I'm kind of rooting for somebody else, which is a very. Str- I, I don't. I can't remember ever having seen that in a comedy. And also before. trusting the audience to be okay with that. Yeah, because it's Browning, feels- Logan Browning. Jesus Christ, yeah, sorry, I, total brain fart. Who is Logan Browning? Um, because it feels like the truth, and it feels like the way people really are because with a show like this it's got the title it's very provocative it's clearly dealing with race and identity politics and all of this stuff and if you were watch, if you were to look at the cast 
and and their costumes and stuff, you would decide, okay, I know who that is. Yep. I know who that is. I get it. That's the guy that does that, and that's the jock, and whatever. And then they start to, and then they start to peel away. Yeah. And you're like, oh, it had that thing that Mad Men had, which is you didn't know what was going to happen, and when it happened, you were surprised, but it felt right. It felt like the truth. Right. Exactly. And um, and it and it's not afraid to. Uh, upend certain things about the way people think they should be. For example, there's a gay character in here, and he mm-hmm. has a really hot yeah. straight mo- roommate. Yeah, and I'm, I could imagine a lot of gay guys going, "Oh, please!" Like he's, it, it's so tired for him to just lust after his straight jock roommate, or you know. And he should, but look, we're all rewinding because that guy's incredible. It's the truth. It is the truth. It's I, the truth. It's, and I like I that know. it had the courage of its convictions to be honest. I don't know if I'm making any sense. No, you're making sense I, because I, I think it, it's easy for a, a gay viewer to say like, oh, that's trite or that's something I've seen before. But it's also something that you've experienced before. You want to tell me you if you're get, not that gay kid you. in that room yeah. and that was your room. That was your, you're checking him out. Of course and you were are. that age and that, you know. And you're not truth. really out yet. So you're – and, and I don't know if this is a blanket statement, but like in my experience, most people, most guys who are coming out in the coming out process – they tend to be. They tend to gravitate towards straight guys. They tend to get crushes on straight right. guys. I know that happened to me a ton. And well, to well nobody's where, out yet. You don't. You don't even quite know what's going on. You right. Know? Right. Right. And, but even when you do, like yeah. sometimes you just. There's something so attractive, I think, about the normalcy that comes with heterosexuality that you right. sort of want to connect with. In some right. Way. It's a way of I, belonging, feeling yeah. like you're part of the mainstream or right, something. Exactly. And it's and I think um just generationally it's become a lot easier for those crushes to form yeah. because back in the day straight guys weren't friends with gay guys so you never got that close to them and you never really developed that hardcore crush. If anything yeah. it was just a lusting from afar. Yeah. And now that like straight guys are good friends or best friends with gay guys, like most of my best friends are, are straight guys. Right. Um you're closer to them. You're more in their world. So it's easier to develop a crush and, and that can be really painful. Yeah. Um and, and, and it's and, the truth. Yeah. Um and then the the straight guy gives the gay kid a haircut. Yeah. And it's sublime. <laughs> I like that the show stops to have those moments yeah. that are sort of lyrical and I don't know. I think this was working on so many levels. I just am in love with it. Well, yeah, and that see that scene was so special to us because like we had, we had experiencing like, like a haircut it, it, to a straight guy is nothing. Like it's just you know a guy cutting your hair. Right. But with a gay dude, it's like he's he's in your space. His balls are on your arm. It was like and in, he's blowing on your neck. Yes. <laughs> it's like a it very. It was like what was out of Africa when Robert Redford washes her hair in the street. It's like. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's intimate. Yes. It's a very intimate it's thing. It's the clay in ghosts. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You yeah, know? Both great examples. Thank you. Yeah. Classics. Yeah. I don't know. Um, that, uh, what's the, what's the jock's name? The, the brand for student? Troy. Troy. Yeah. Play, that play body. beautifully by Brandon Bell, who is like. He's so good. He's so good, and he's so sweet, and he's so thoughtful as an actor. Like, you, we, we had so many conversations on set about. You know Troy's character and his his background is and Troy, uh, Brandon played Troy in the movie too, so he was yeah. already sort of familiar with that character, but he was still so um, inquisitive and so interested in trying to like portray this guy in a real deep three dimensional sort of way. So he was so communicative with all the writers and and making sure that he was doing everything the right way. Like I just pleasure like the cast was such a pleasure, and he was so good at making you feel. Like the guy that seems to have everything, yeah. has these things, has these insecurities, has these things that 
he does like he's totally bullied by his father. Yeah. And um, he's running for you know student body president, president, and he's sort of ambivalent about it. But yeah. he, he's so good. Yeah. I was like, he gave a few speeches, and I'm like, oh god, if he could have spoke for Hillary, I know seriously, I mean, that, he's, he's so great at good. messaging. Exactly. Yes. Um, um, and, and not to breeze past the body part. His body is phenomenal. It's awful. And, it's, and here's here's it's how like it's a special uh, effect. It, it's like a special effect. Like it, it shouldn't be real. And like I, I, there was a moment where I was like. Oh, we could, I'll be on set when we get to see that case yeah. nude scene. And then I was like, oh, that's my friend. Like, I don't yeah. want to see that. Like, right? It was a very strange, like, mature transitional moment. That's for good. Me you had a really eye opening. Yeah, moment. I was like, or, or eye closing. And exactly. <laughs> I was like, exactly. I'm going to look away. This feels wrong. Yeah. But yeah, um, yeah. yeah like, it, it, it was, it, yeah, he's, he is that guy. And we all, every gay dude had that guy in college right. who was. You know, either your roommate or a guy in your hall or a guy in your frat who would walk around with his shirt off all the time or in right. his underwear, and you're like, "Can you fucking put on some clothes? You are right. killing me right yeah, now." Yeah, it's not right. It yeah. ain't fair. It's not. But you they know. don't. It, it's nothing to them. They yeah. don't. They don't see that that's what's happening. And I thought right. that's what made that scene or that that series of scenes so poignant. Was like, straight guys don't often realize that they are like peacocking sometimes yeah. for us and we're we have to sit on that and, right um, on those emotions and like not let them show or, or risk ruining our friendships right yeah it's i also i also loved the first episode really focuses on that that main the radio person sam yeah. so when the second one started and you realized what was happening oh we're gonna go this way it was such a delight it was like opening a present and going oh this is so cool yeah um, yeah, I just really love that part. Yeah, and it's um, talking about that character Lionel, who's the gay character. Yeah, um, so sweet. Yeah, he's played by Deron Horton, who's he's so like, good. He is okay. So you see that guy on screen, and he's so reserved, and he's so like kind of you know under his breath, and like yeah. little, you know second guessing his every thought. Deron in real life is like the most gregarious, like goofy, loud, bold person, confident, confident, and just fucking hilarious. And then as soon as you yell action, he just retreats into this like, you know, kind of like a mental fetal position. His whole his, his whole his carriage, whole carriage changes. changes exactly. Like he's a really strong actor, and, and and really brought and he's straight too. So like, and he really brought that level of empathy to that character yeah. that I don't you know I don't know that a lot of other actors could have done so we're, we're extremely lucky to have the guys that we got now um, I remember as the show was building up to come out Justin wrote this wonderful long essay I read online mm -hmm. just about people's reaction to the title, the title yeah. and there was all this sort of stuff online and in the blogosphere uh, before the show came out um, sort of controversy or whatever what was your vantage point to that? Was it something that you felt personally, or did you follow it, or were you just yeah. kind of like, wait till the show comes out, no, calm down, my, everybody? And it's really Justin's sort of thing to speak to. But right, and what he, did you think of all he that? He bore the brunt of a lot of that hatred online, which was unfortunate because he's an unbelievably sweet guy. So for him to be, you know. To see somebody like that get bullied. Get bullied online and fuck you and calling him a nigger and this, yeah. that, and the other. Like it was it was it was really like tough to watch him go through that. Like I got a tiny, tiny like sliver of it. Like somebody oh, I don't realize how they got on my Facebook page. It was like, thanks a lot, asshole. Like you're just you know, this is doing bad stuff for race relations. And when I get trolled, I, I kill with kindness. That's how I go back. So I was like, hey man, like I really I I hear what you're saying, but like I think you should check out the show before you judge it. I think you'd see that um, that it's not 
as incendiary as you might think. And then his tone sort of changed a little bit and was like, well, it's just not helping. And I responded, well, the show hasn't come out yet, so neither of us know if it's helping or not. Um, And then he he just disappeared. I think the show is helping. I think it's totally helping. Anything that's starting conversations is helping. And I think a lot of the the haters, uh, the white haters, I'm sorry, the haters who are white out there in the the world uh, think that we're all, like, because of the title, we're, we're saying, all white people are bad and, and, you know, they do all this terrible stuff and whatever. They're all racist and they all, even if they don't know it. And that's not what we're saying. What we're saying is like, here are some things that you probably don't realize are offensive because you may not have that uh, level of exposure to black right. people or, or that level of comfort with black people where they would say to you, hey, that what you said or what you did wasn't cool. You know right. what I mean? So um, where the, whereas, you know, white people talking to other white people, they have sort of the freedom yeah. to be like, hey, that's not cool. Or black people to other black people or Asian people to other Asian people. Like when it, when it goes across cultural lines, unless you have someone near you who's, who's able to say, hey, that's not cool, you don't know it. And right. we're just saying, hey, here's the shit that's not cool. And what you would learn if you watch the show is that we talk a lot of shit about our black characters. Like we really, we focus on their flaws. We focus on the flaws of a lot of people that are, you know, super activists and, and, uh, you know, sometimes how they might let the activism get like overtake them and sort of not see the forest for the trees. So we're, everyone gets picked apart. It's not just white people. So that, and, and Sam has a line, Sam um, White, who's the lead character, has a line in there that says, Dear White People is kind of a misnomer, and it is. And I think if you're going to be turned off by the title, like, you're not a super savvy media consumer. Yeah, it's just a jumping off point. And exactly. it's the name of the show that she hosts. That she hosts, yeah. And it, it is, you know, it does land, and it's a, it's a good title, but it doesn't say everything there is to say about the show at all. No, not at all. Um, not at all. I love the character of Gabe. Me too. Gabe, right? Yeah. And, uh... John Patrick Amadori yes. plays Gabe in a really, like... You just, like... You, you're not, you don't feel sorry for him, but right. you, like, feel for him. Right. He, he, brought a, he brought a sense of, like, earnestness and, and but also, like, lightheartedness. And, and the fancy. way they look at each other, they, there's real yes. chemistry there, romantic chemistry. Yep. 100%. And, yeah, and 100%. it's, um, what's, I keep forgetting the lead girl's name. Logan. Logan, yeah. and her, the, the character's the, name. The, oh, Sam. Sorry. Sam. Yeah. So you, you, she does this radio show, you're like, okay, she's that girl. And then, then, you, then she's having uh, sex with somebody, and then you, you see, oh, it's a white guy. Yeah. Oh, fuck. Like, oh, it's kind of like, that's, it's so, like, everything gets complicated now. Yeah. And, and to her around, you know, with her peers and everything, and it's, it was just so, everything, every time you thought you sort of knew what somebody was about, you found out something else. Right, because you get a glimpse of them sort of, behind, like, out of the public eye right. when they're in their really private sincere moments and but the, and the, one of the things that's most fascinating about that dynamic you were just talking about is like Sam is biracial yeah. so technically dating a white dude is not interracial dating right. that she's dating someone who is a part of her genetic makeup so uh, it, it's it really draws the line I mean, it makes it makes you it makes you um, uh, really ponder yes. what constitutes interracial dating, and 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 it's and there was a really great joke that um, a character Joelle is played by Ashley Blaine Featherston says, and she says, "You're not what does she say? You're not um, Rashida. You're Jones. not Rashida Jones biracial. You're you're Tracy Ellis Ross biracial. Right. People think of you as black, and so it and we back, know what that means. We know you know exactly what that means, and you sort of it goes back to identity right. versus perception. You know what I mean? And I think if you're going to play with all of these these." ideas and issues and 
and the way the public perceives all of this stuff, to have the, the talent and the empathy that, and the compassion that Justin and the show has yeah. is, I think, what makes it work. Yeah, totally. Because um, totally. it's audacious. To uh, and um, I love it so much. Um, you got to work with Barry Jenkins. Yes, indeed. He directed Academy one of the Award episodes. Winner Benny uh, Jenkins, he directed yeah. one of the episodes, which I haven't gotten to yet. Okay, you. Will, are you I like, hear it's intense. It's intense. It's okay. intense, but it's also really funny, and it's also really there's some really good. Um, uh, relationship beats for characters. Right. I'm trying not to spoil anything. Okay. Uh, but there's some really good. There's some stuff that's sort of touched on earlier in the season with with a few character dynamics. Really gets a light shown on it in yeah. that in that episode. And and your allegiances to different characters start to shift a little bit. So it's a real like I think that it's it's. I mean it's so genius. Like that is such a turning five is such a turning point in the uh, in the series because after that. You, who you root for changes a little bit, and yeah. how you look at certain people changes a little bit, and it informs the rest of the season. And Justin and Yvette are like, like I said, they're geniuses for being able to construct it that way. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah. I want to see as a writer, what does their workplace look like? Is it cards? Is it because of the way the episodes are shaped in yeah. the season? I, I, how do they? Or, is there an app? But how? <laughs> no. We did, we did it the old-fashioned way. We had, yeah, cards up on the board. So right. we had an episode one, episode two, episode three, blah, blah, blah. And we would have, like, the story beats that are in that episode. Yeah. And then there was a separate wall that, that had things, themes that we brought up. Themes or, like, cultural uh, reference points or, or whatever. Like, for example, um, uh, like, interracial dating would be one. Yeah. Or, like, um, uh, shoot, uh coming out stories would be one or right. like being woke would be one yeah or even even with the the Troy character there's a scene where he's interacting with a, a white older guy at a party yeah. and the guy assumes that he plays football and he really plays he's, he, he's a rower yeah yeah and and even in that moment you go oh he's he thinks he should be this the other guy yeah. and he's not and there's and it, it it has a lot of moments like that it does and i think the um the like Troy having to constantly face stuff like that yeah. and the way that he handles it with such uh, grace in the yeah. moment and then you sort of see how it takes its toll and you see how he copes when moments. he's not yeah, exactly you know and, and I think that that was really a great um, uh, yeah. uh, really a great way to sort of show that like even if it looks like shit doesn't bother you on the surface it can be tearing you apart yes you know Empathy Camp 360. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I like that phrase. Exactly. I, like, if I ever have a project or if I'm ever running a show or anything, that's, like, my first speech. It's like, okay. we're going to shoot this on the Empathy Camp 360. Yeah. And then I'm going to roll out some fake prop. No, yeah. I'm not. But, but it's a... I don't know. It's a thing where, like... This idea for me is that, like, every character is more than who they are to serve the story. Right. And and I think um, this show in particular, like, cemented this for me. Although, as a writer, I've always sort of had this where, yeah. like... When people tell me a story about something that's happened in their lives, I'm like, well, how would the other person in that story tell that same story? Right. Like, what, like per, the shift in perspectives are, like, where one person can think, oh, this person cussed me out. The other person would say, yeah, no, we had a cool conversation, right. and I, I told them a few things that were wrong, and we fixed it, you know? Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm just always very interested in how other people perceive the same. Yeah. And we really got to hit on that that dichotomy in this, in, by, by focusing each episode on different person's perspectives. There's a great example of that in the first two episodes where one person approaches another one with some urgency uh-huh. and the other person had just gone learned something horrible so they're not present in the moment yep. it makes them seem like they're being rude or they don't care yep. but when we find out in the second episode what was really happening you're like oh 
that's why they were not available for that exchange. Yeah, I, and that's and that's something that I've really brought into my personal life too. Where right. it's like, if I have an experience with somebody who I th- thought was this yeah. happened recently to somebody I thought was like mistreating me or being yeah. you know um, uncharacteristically cruel, uh, I went back to that person later and I was like, are you are you going through something? Like, is there is there something you want to talk yeah, about? What's it really like, about? What's it really about? Because I don't feel like that was that's not our normal interaction. So right. when I notice something is off, I'm instantly cognizant of like there's something has changed in our dynamic what yeah. is it i don't think i'm being different but right. i always say are you going through something or did i do something to upset you right like, let like let's kind of see where we're at and evaluate that's very it, mature you know? it's well it's, it's just it, it helps me make sense of it it's yeah. like because i just don't like i don't like the unknown like i don't like to i don't like things that i can't process or can't make sense of right so i i have that need to like be like boom i figured that out Put it away. like it's almost like a checking things off your to do list. Right. I don't like having emotional items on my to do list unchecked. You know? I, I appreciate that. Yeah. That's very healthy. Um, I love the scandal parody. Oh yeah, defamation. <laughs> defamation. <laughs> yeah. They all get together to watch defamation. Right. Do, I, I've only seen it in the first episode. Does it come back again, or is it that one time? No. I, yeah, it does come back again a little bit later. Um, and there's there are references to it even when we don't see it. But it's just kind of that that you know. There are very few shows that are that communal where people right. gather to watch it. I feel Full like of it, OMG moments. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, exactly. And a lot of Shonda shows are like that. Yeah, and like The Walking Dead. I know people have Walking Dead parties or Game of yeah. Thrones parties or whatever. And so it's just, it just, it's one of those things we really focus on, like how those those. Um, artworks can bind people and yeah. even if you're even if it's a guilty w- pleasure yes. or a hate watch or whatever yes. like people are fucking into it they're so that. into it and i love that it made fun of that need for those shows to ha- constantly have those jaw-dropping moments to an almost absurd level yeah you know um have you heard any word from shondaland if they appreciated the homage i think i read somewhere that that shonda thought it was funny yeah um the girl I mean, looked a lot like harry washington yeah, yeah, and yeah, the, and the yeah. I was like, wow. No, it was great. But yeah. I mean, I, I think, I mean, I'm sure Shonda's pretty Teflon at this point. Like, right. I, I, she knows we're not. Oh taking no, a it's, stab it's an affection. It's a, yeah, it's a, it's a shout out. Yeah, yeah, of, yeah. You know? Although I don't know, would they get away with what your parody gets away with no, on no, ABC? Definitely not. Definitely not. No, we we, like, we yeah. push the envelope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I love it. What did you? How do you think working on this show has enriched you as a writer? Um, I think. Okay, so. All the shows I've worked on before, um, I didn't have a ton of confidence while I was in those rooms for a couple of reasons. One, most of the writers were usually, you know, 15, 20 years older than me. We're all married with kids. So in the down moments, all the conversations in the room would be about marriage and family and home ownership and play dates and shit that I had no, you know, color me mine. Yeah. Color me mine, all that stuff. (laughs) And like, and so when I would share my experiences about going out with my friends and getting drunk or whatever, and here's what happened when this guy got too drunk, it was treated as kind of like frivolous and not as important or weighty. Like, it's like, Oh, that's that's, what you're going to, you need, when you're going to grow up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. When you're going to have like adult, like parent yeah. problems Talk to those me are when you're real trying problems. to find a school for your kid right exactly exactly right. so i did not always feel empowered to like share my your personal life. my life which is a huge part of what the writer's process is in a room right. um, and in this situation the writers were were you know the median age was a lot younger there were only two that had been married with kids 
Um, and so we, when we were able to share stuff about our life and it, when people were interested, I felt safe to do it. Yeah. And, and, and I, I always, I said this to Justin, any event, like I've never been on a show where I felt more utilized or understood or appreciated or trusted or, um, trusted to be given more responsibility. Yeah. Like that was really a, a turning point for me. And it gave me a lot of confidence because in previous shows, I'd be, I'd pitch stuff in the room that I'm like, Oh, that's fucking gold. That's hilarious. And it would be crickets. Yeah. Like no one would laugh at it. And so like at the beginning of dear white people, I would, I would, you know, I'd kind of pitch like with my head down, like looking down. Cause I was like, Here, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to pitch something and nobody's going to laugh at it. Right. And people would laugh at it. And I'd be like, wait, why are they, why are they, why are they laughing? Oh shit. Okay. I guess these people. And I, I don't think I've gotten that much better as a writer or a pitcher. I just think like people had more, um, you found a better fit. Yeah. Yeah. A better fit. Exactly. Yeah. 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 I like that. Um, what was I going to ask you? I sort of forgot. Oh, tell me more about Barry Jenkins. Did you, um, interact with him much or this was before Moonlight had even come out, right? That he right. was around. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. I'll asterisk on that for a second. Uh, but when, yeah, when he was on set, like the vibe that he set was so positive and so um, he's cute, enriching. He's, he's, he's so. I just cute saw with him actually glasses. today. We were <laughs> we were doing something at the guild. Oh right. Um, yeah, he's he's the greatest. Like he is super passionate and super. Um, communicative and open like to, to people's ideas and to people's interpretations of what a scene should be or what a character moment should be. Um, he is bouncing around talking to everybody. It, it, he looks like when you see him on set, he seems like a kid who is being given his first chance to direct at age like 15. Like the right. enthusiasm, there's no, the, the enthusiasm has not been jaded at all. He fucking loves what he does and that filters down to everybody. Well, also he, he didn't just kind of become an overnight success. Like he made the one film and then he had a period of time where he was doing like different things and yeah. you know, yeah. so it's, it's, it didn't come easy to him. Uh, no, I don't think it did, but because he originally wanted to be a writer, I think that's what he, what his original deal was. And then he started directing in college and really was like, okay, I, I could do both of these things right. in, in a really, you know, meaningful way. And I, I, I think because he has such experience as a writer, he, he values the writer's vision and he wants to make sure that he's getting across you know, what the writers intended to get across while also bringing his special perspective to it. And it's just, it's, it's, again, I'm overusing the word collaborative, but it's really, that's, that's like the cornerstone of his directing process. And I, I love it. Like it, it it was a joy to work with him. That's so cool. Yeah. I love Um, it. And then, so yeah, so we can, he shot that before Moonlight was released, but after it was finished. So he invited the entire cast and crew to a special screening of Moonlight before it was released in theaters because... I mean, because he's just dope. He's just a fucking dope guy. Like, yeah. the, the, he didn't have to do that. Like, he, he right. had nothing to gain from that. It was just like, he liked working with us, and he wanted to share his right. new project with us. And I was like... That, that's what just was like, your reaction when you saw it? it? It's very powerful. It kicked me in the gut, man. It was, right. it was very... You just... We all have different experiences, you know, being gay. Right. Um, I grew up in like a middle class f- family in, in Delaware, in right? Delaware, yeah. yeah. And so my surroundings, my environment was completely different than the character Chiron's uh, in, in Moonlight was. And it was like we're having the same struggles, but his he had so much more to worry about. Whether right. it was his mom's substance abuse, their his financial what's situation. He gonna, what's he going to eat? What's he going to eat? What's he going to wear? Is are these kids going to kick the shit out of me every day? Yeah. Like it was, 
it puts into perspective like your your own struggles and it makes you kind of appreciate that like yes maybe maybe we did have it kind of hard but there are people that have it way harder and then yeah. if you even you imagine and somebody from you know a country where homosexuality is illegal and punishable by death they would look at Chiron and be like oh that kid had a fucking cakewalk like right. you know what I mean so there's varying levels of, of that experience it's relative. Is, yeah it's relative and I think it's important to remember that before before we, you know, are like, whoa, it's me. I'm a gay guy yeah. in, in West Hollywood, you know. Did you interact with him since the Oscars? Or did you, when he won, did you, I don't know, hear, hear anything from um, him? No, I hadn't, I hadn't talked to him for a while. But then I ran into him at the Dear White People premiere. So oh, I was fun. able to say, like, congratulations. And, very you know, cool. So great. I was rude, obviously rooting for the guy. He, he's a very difficult guy to not root for. Yeah, he's just so sweet and so talented. Uh, so yeah, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm like, I'm, I don't mean to sound like a sycophant. No, I love that. it. Yeah. I, he seems cool. He's dope. He's incredible. Um, is there something that from your own past or your own thoughts that, that, that you're happy that ended up in dear white people? Was there something that felt like the very you? Uh, yeah, there were a couple things actually that, um, the haircut scene that we were yeah. talking about with Lionel and the roommate, like that was, uh, we, I, I don't think that was my idea, but we, I definitely pitched in some of the like um some of the uh pathos behind it based on my own experiences right. um and i also uh, the uh, i was able to write episode three which is the troy episode yeah and um and I've, I've been in situations where i'm the boss's son so like i've, I've very much connected to that and it's like you have to you, it's it's weird because you have to like work extra hard and prove that you're not where you are because of nepotism but then you also have to show everybody else that you're you're just another person yeah. on the team. You know what I mean? You're just another student at the school or whatever it is. So I really related to that and I was glad to see that, um, you know, dramatized. Right. Yeah. It's like, he's like the big man on campus, but you get to see what he struggles with. Yeah. It's real and you feel it. Totally. Um, and, it's, and, and, and like that big man on campus is another um, uh, perception that your right. identity may struggle with. Right. And it's because, and so he was raised to be that guy. Yeah. And I, it's not really the guy he wants to be. Yeah, he's, he's doing great at it. Yeah, he's doing, he kicks ass at it, but it's <laughs> he's not. paying a price. Right. If he had to choose, he would go in a completely different <laughs> They keep direction. calling him Trobama, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, did your dad, did you work with your dad? Is that what you were? Yeah, yeah I worked with my dad, like, when I was a teenager at summer camp. He was the director and I was a counselor at the summer camp. So. Right on. Yeah. So. It was, it, yeah, and that that means exactly what I just described. Yeah. It's like you want to people. You find out later because a bunch of people after that told me like, you know, we didn't really want to say certain things around you because right. we thought like, oh, you're the mole or whatever. Right. Uh, but they learned really quickly. Like, nah, dude. Like, he doesn't treat me like his son at work. He treats right. me like a counselor, and so I treat him like the boss. Like, and that's that's kind of what. Uh, I mean, that was the dynamic that it created, and I showed them like, no, I'm I'm part of the team. Like, I'm I'm not you're sharing. Safe around, yeah. yeah, you're safe around me. I'm not like I'm not gonna go fucking rat you out because what do I gain from that? But did they feel like they could have fun and, and kind of yeah, absolutely. break rules around you? Yeah, or, absolutely, you know, absolutely. And summer camp. Yeah, and I broke rules too. Yeah, <laughs> so right like, on. it was it was definitely an eye opening experience in that. That's cool. Yeah. Now, speaking of camp, you have a film that you wrote. Oh, nice segue. I know, right? <laughs> Great I, you segue. Me, you set me up. Called Fat Camp, yeah. and it's premiering at LA Film Festival mm-hmm. on June 21st. And I got to watch a, a screener, and it's really fun. Cool. And okay. I want to hear about your backstory, because you mentioned camp. Where did, the, where did the idea for it come from? 
So um, there's a, a guy who's a YouTube star named Shane Dawson. Right. Uh, he had this idea because he had gone to Fat Camp uh, when he was younger. Right. And he wanted to write this movie. He was like, I want to, I want to do Bad Santa at Fat Camp. Right. And so we were like, all right, cool. And I, th- it's funny because I was um, in a general meeting with the with the production company, and I saw that the guy from the company had a book about camp on his desk. And I was like, yeah. oh, I, you went to camp. I went to camp. And all right. we started sharing camp memories. And he was like, oh, well, we have a camp project. It's not like, you know typical summer camp it's a fat camp i was like hey i'll take a stab at that and so you know we developed it out and i i wrote it and and the best this is the best thing anybody can ever tell you i was like you know you wanted to what do you want this like rated r rated pg-13 they were like r like super hard r right like balls to the wall and if you go too far we'll we'll tell you to bring it back right but don't limit yourself and i was like done and done so it was a really liberating thing because I, I was working in network TV at the time right. and that's all about limiting, <laughs> limiting right. yourself like you have a really crass uh, profane joke that you want to make and you're like how do we say that in a way that will make it onto air and pass standards and practices and with Fat Camp it was like no you you want to say you know, yeah. the dirtiest thing in your brain like you just spit it out it's great that's so fun yeah um with, with the but it's the kids that are at this camp are like 13 12 mm-hmm. 13 14 what was it like finding young actors like that the, whose parents were okay with the edgy RN material yeah, that's a great question because a, a, a few of the kids parents were on set a bunch of the times right. during you know they had to be I think by law yeah um, if you're under 18 I think you have to have a parent or a guardian or somebody with you on set and so they were kind of like look we don't let them talk like this at home, but the kids were having such a blast being able to say really profane right. things. Because, like, we all we all remember being 13 and 14. Yes. We weren't like, golly gee, like, I have a crush on Susie. It was right. like, oh, I want to fuck her or whatever. Right. Like, kids, boys talk like that. Yeah. And so I didn't want to – I wanted to remain true to that, that right. dynamic. And – Everybody responded really positively to it. So, right. And, and again, when I was a camp counselor, it was like, no, I, I hear, I remember how I talked at that age. My kids talked that way. Like, right. And I did. So I, I wanted it to feel real. And and the the uh, camaraderie that the kids in the movie developed because they were able to be raunchy and fun together was really awesome to watch. They coalesced as a group in a really cool way. That's cool. And, was there something from your own camp experience that you put right into the movie? Um, I, yeah, I think the debauchery of the staff <laughs> was yes. something that uh, I definitely put into that um, because that was uh, my uh, – with me and some of the other camper, or counselors, the, uh, the thing was always like, who's having more fun at camp, the counselors or the campers? Right. And you never know for sure because the counselors are having the time of their lives. They're 18, 19, 20-year-old yeah. kids in charge of 13, 14-year-old kids. So I was a, a camp counselor at a music camp yeah. in Northern Arizona University for two summers, like, right after, right, my senior year, like, of college, or right around that age, and, um, gosh, it was fun. Yeah, and, it's and, so and fun. we were putting on shows and stuff, but there were crushes and things yep. going on. And you're hooking up in the woods. Yeah, and doing, I mean, there's all a little bit of, of that. Yeah. Practice rooms. Sure. Were, were a thing. Um, man, it brings back memories. What was the most debauched thing you did as a, in camp? Uh, <laughs> uh, I don't know if I should tell that story. <laughs> uh, let me see. So, actually, uh, was there was there very much gay intrigue at that? Because my thing is, I had crushes on people, but I didn't. 
yeah. act on them. I was too... I didn't act on them directly. I sort of acted on them indirectly in right. that way that, you know, uh, straight guys will kind of bro around in a homoerotic yeah. way. Right. And I would sort of just, you know, make sure to bleed that in a little bit to, right. the, to our interaction. So, again, indirectly, not directly. Um, but, yeah, I'm um, trying to think of, like... Uh, all right. I, okay. So fuck it. I'll tell the story. So I actually got fired from from that camp. Oh my gosh! Because I uh, I hooked up with a counselor in training, okay. which is a it's a level. So it goes like camper, then counselor in training, then counselor. Right. So you're not, and these are not supposed to interact in that way. Right. But it was like it was a girl. I was I was 17 and she was 16. So right. in the real world, it's not a problem at all. Right. But in camp, it is a problem. So I got fired on the last day of camp. Because it got it got found out. It was like if that secret had just held for one, one more day. day, exactly. And I, I I learned later that I was um, that I had won like a staff scholarship fund. Like the counselors all vote on like who are the best counselors, and they pick three people and they get a little bit of money. And um, the money, like so, I, and I wasn't able to, to get that because I'd gotten fired. It cost and it, you. It, it literally cost. Yeah, it you. cost me. And so the money, not missing out on the getting fired from the job, missing out on the money, both sucked. The thing that sucked the most was the the counselor who that um, who that award was named after was a woman named Laura Oline who was at the camp when I was like five years old and I would go to camp and she would like babysit me and we'd have so much fun and she was always smiling and then she she died in a car accident when I was about. Ten, I think. Oh my goodness. And so, like, this was a woman who I held in such high regard. She was an adult who treated me not like a kid, um, and I just I, like her spirit was just so lively and so vibrant and so pure. And uh, and so to have been considered for that award in her name and to win it was such a huge honor. And then to like have my actions be smirched in a weird oh, way. It's like it was a really, heartbreaker. Yeah, it was it was a but it was a great lesson because going back to like having your dad be the boss. Right. It I, there was an element and I'm seventeen at the time, there was an element of like, oh my dad's the boss. Like I yeah, I don't want to I don't want any special treatment, but I can sort of get away yeah, with it. I mean and, I'm like everyone else. This is not a fire. But yeah, exactly. Right. But uh, and that showed me no goddamn it you are right. <laughs> you are just as easily fireable as anybody Did else. Did he literally do it? He said son you're fired? Uh, no I, one of one of the other yeah. the assistant directors did yeah. Wow. So it was uh, it was very it was it was a it was a gr- like a really shitty experience but as far as personal growth is concerned huge experience to show that like no matter who you are or how successful you are no one is above the law unless you're Donald Trump he seems to be above the law uh, (laughs) Donald Trump thinks the world revolves around him and the rules don't apply to him and Mm -hmm. guess what the world revolves around him, and the rules don't apply to him. Yeah, and ah. I don't understand how yeah. it's possible. I'm, I'm, I'm June 8th when, when Comey gets to testify. I can't wait. I'm having people over for breakfast. Seriously, I'm Do like, you come? I, I'd love to come. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I told my friend, I was like, I'm, I'm like, not celebrating my birthday this year. I'm <laughs> celebrating Comey. <laughs> I know. Like, that it's is like the best day. Yeah. Okay, cool. We'll, we'll hook it up. Yeah. Um, did my eyes deceive me, or are, or are there two squirrels fucking in, in your movie? In, in fact, camp. camp, yes. Oh, there is. There's a like a, you know when there's yeah. like there's establishing shots of the camp, yeah. and like the tents and the or the you know the dorm rooms or whatever, and the and the field. And the, wait, was that two squirrels fucking? Yeah, which I didn't. Who know. finds two squirrels fucking? I, sometimes just magic happens. You know, it's a happy it. accident. Yeah, exactly. And like so, uh, Jen Arnold, who is the director of Fat right. Camp, she found a lot of those moments. Like, right. you know, we'll call them squirrel fucking moments. You right. know what I mean? Like, she found a lot of those moments that weren't in the script that really 
like brought the comedy to another level. Yeah. But she also, in, in developing out the script with me, excuse me, um, brought a lot of heart to it too. Right. So she was like, I want you to be, I, same thing with the producer. Like, I want you to go as crazy and dirty and fucked up as you want. I'm just going to put it, I'm going to counterbalance that with some heart. Right. And she did it really well. She was such a great leader on set and, and like, I've been pretty lucky to work That's with, really cool. with awesome people. Yeah. Um, the, the protagonist of the film, it makes it sound like it's about the kids. It's a, one of the counselors, the yeah. guy that's kind of uh, going nowhere, kind of a loser, and he mm-hmm. gets stuck there, and it's about his journey yeah, sort of becoming less of a loser. Exactly. It's, yeah, and, and he's a loser in a lot of different ways. Like, he's, you know, lives with his mom, and, and he's, has in, his never 20s, got, he's like, in his 20s, never yeah. gotten a job, like, kind of smokes weed and drinks with his buddies yeah, all the yeah. time. And he doesn't really have a concept of responsibility, and he doesn't have a concept of empathy. Like, right. in his mind, he's perfect, and everybody else is fucking idiots. Right. Are, are fucking idiots. And uh, he, through the through, through his love interest in the movie and his co-counselor. She's really special. She's, she's, yeah, she's beautiful. gorgeous. She's Ugh. gorgeous. Annabella Costa. Yeah, yeah, she's um, great. Yeah, and so, like, through her and through um, his co-counselor, Charlie, who's played by Michael Cienfuegos, who is, like, I, I think one of He's my the favorite best discovery. He's so my favorite character, fucking Charlie. Good. Yeah. yeah. He's really good, and he's really, like... Um, uh, just uh, also like very pure of heart and yeah. like not sarcastic and and uh, and very caring. He doesn't have kind. a snark button. Exactly, yeah. no snark button. And uh, and and then also through the kids, Hutch, the main character, learns yeah. like, okay, I need to become a better person. Right. Um, I suck. Like, and that's a really hard thing for a person who is narcissistic right. to come to terms with. And so you see you see that gradual progression over the course of the movie. And uh, and you really start to like him. You hate him at the beginning, and you like him at the end. It's yeah. Like, there are some gold sequence speedos that figure in the plot at yes. one point. And did you inherit a pair? Did you get uh, a takeaway? I don't think I could have fit into any of those. <laughs> <laughs> they were a little small for me. Right. But uh, yeah, no, I thought that was. Um, I, I don't want to give that away because it's a. It's kind of a yeah. good reveal. But um, that was Jen Arnold's idea. Like she is. She wanted to have that great moment and I, I was like rock on dude and it came out so much that ending that is really um it, it makes you feel really good yeah it's very liber there's something very liberating about yeah. it i don't want to give it away but um it's it's really like wow they're going there okay and then it becomes really um just it makes you feel good. Yeah, it anyway. does. It makes you feel good. And it, and it, it teaches you kind of, you know, it's the same thing we were talking about earlier about um, not judging people for who, for, for what they appear on the outside, not judging a book by its right. cover. Because I, I, there are people out there who will see fat people and be like, oh, they have no self-control or they, you know, yeah. whatever, uh, or they, they just, you know, are addicted to food or whatever it is. But there's a lot of people who are like, I, they have unresolved issues and yeah. the way that it manifests itself is through overeating and they don't like it, but that's sort of how it is. And they, they want help to sort of fix that. And so t- for people who, people like our main character who just look at them as like, Oh, they're fat slobs and they're gross. Like that is very unsympathetic and it's, it's, it's reducing them to one characteristic and not seeing them as a full person. Yeah. Well, it's fun. It's going to be at the film festival, and then is it going to go into? Um, yeah, it'll be a VOD, video on demand. Yeah, yeah, in July, I think. All yeah. right, it's yeah. a good summer fun. Movie. Yeah, good summer fun movie. It's it's like it's a. I, I wouldn't call it a kids movie, but no, it's a movie it's like yeah. with kids. It's, but it's with kids, but it's not a kids movie. But yeah. every kid would want to see it, but their parents probably oh, wouldn't let them. them. But if they saw it, they would love it. You know right. what I mean? Because it's it's like I said, it's true to the 
to the place in the in life where they are. Yeah. So Fun. were you on set? I went. On, I was on set a lot. It was my first yeah. movie, so I was like, I just want to like, I just want to see the magic happen. Like, I was so like, I mean, there there was a part of me that felt like kind of geeked out because I was like. Oh my god, I'm a job creator. Like right. I mean, everybody's look, here. I wanted a little cabin like this and look, there's a cabin. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. And and so like that part of it was really and I I mean I'd experienced that before on TV shows, but I've never had my own show. So right. it's never been like this came you know, right. this is my baby. And so I saw like I just that part of it was really um, heartening. Did you keep any souvenirs like the camp t-shirts or anything like uh, that? I did. I kept it. I got, I actually, this wasn't a, this was something that the, the crew made as a gift. Right. It was like a fat camp t-shirt. Fine. Um, so I, I have one of those and it, I have, of course like tons and tons of photos from on set and just like watching the kids. And that was another set where it was so much fun. Like the, the best memory I have is like one day on a lunch break, uh, we were shooting at in, in a camp place with a big open field, and so after everyone ate, and we still had like 30 minutes to kill before it was time to come back to shoot, the, we had a big football game. Like the cast was playing with the crew, and some of the producers jumped in, and we're all just running around playing football like little kids. And, and like the smiles on people's faces were so like brilliant and like infectious, and, and right. the people who weren't playing were like taking pictures from the sidelines. It was it was. One of the best memories I think I will probably ever have uh, making making entertainment. That's right? awesome. Yeah, and you have another movie. Yes, yeah, yeah. So stepsisters, stepsisters, right? Which um, I, I got to say, this was originally called "Ain't No Half Steppin'," yeah. which I sort of wish it was still called, but whatever. Uh, and it's uh, it's about a white sorority who does a step show and sort of the tumult that that causes uh, in the lives of the people on campus who you know the black sororities who are like stepping is our thing, like right. right people shouldn't be co-opting it right and then our, the main character is a black the m&m woman. of stepping yeah exactly exactly <laughs> um and the the main character is a black female who teaches them how to step right and so it's uh, how, how she's torn between her her black sorority sisters and these girls that she has to teach to step and you know where that puts her and how everyone is questioning yeah. her decisions and her loyalties and it's really it, it touches on some of the same stuff that dear white people touches on but in a, in a lighter way it's so complicated because we have this form what's more what's better for the future in our lives to share it or to let it bleed over and, and or to honor it and preserve it and you know like I don't yeah, know what the answer is I don't either there are two there are two very divergent schools of thought on that it's and some hard. people are like it's ours we can't have anything don't right. let people have it and then there are people who are like exactly what you just said like isn't it better if we all sort of share each other's shit um, I personally it's not a popular position amongst black folks, but like I, I think it's cool if we share certain things. I mean, as long as people who are who are participating in it understand the history of it, the relevance of it, and you know treat it as an art form and treat it with respect and really try to work their balls off to make sure that they're doing it and they justice, love it and they love it. Yeah, then I, I I think that it is it is a cultural exchange and not a cultural appropriation. Right but again. That is not a very popular opinion. So there's a great shot early in Dear White People with the lead girl listening to something that sounded like easy listening white yacht rock. Yes, seals yeah, and yeah. Props. I love that scene. And she's kind of she's clearly enjoying it, and then she sees uh, some of her classmates coming toward her, and she immediately switches to something with more swagger. And, yeah, something yeah. To, for, to a hip hop song because yeah, she yeah, sees yeah. black people walking towards yeah, her. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. It's that. Uh, it, it's always that. You're walking that line sometimes right. where people expect certain things of you. Because, like, I'll be 
in the car, like, with my windows down, blasting, right. like, hauling oats or some shit. And people are looking like, what? Wait, that doesn't make sense in my brain. I'm right. like, no, but the last song I was listening to was Biggie, and this, I felt like listening to hauling oats. That's now, right. You know? It's cl- Kiss yeah. on my list. There's yeah, nothing dude, wrong with that song. Right, you make my dream come true. That's kidding such me? a like, good song. What makes you feel better than that song? No. <laughs> what about that scene in 500 Days of Summer yes. with that song? That's what, made me, that's what made me think of it the most. Yeah. So did you have to research much into the stepping phenomenon? No, no, I, or, I'm in a frat. Yeah, yeah, I'm in yeah, a frat, so I stepped. I stepped, actually stepped in high school um, in a what's called the pep club, right. and then I stepped in college with my fraternity. So I, I didn't have to do any research at all. Like, you know I, that stuff. Yeah, you I can know, bust no, that no. shit out. Yeah, but it's, it's all, you have to do it with a group, right? Yeah, you can't. I mean, it's, it's not, not like a, a one person step, step show. Yeah, is, yeah, I, yeah. I've never seen it. I don't think I'd want to see it. Right. Because the what makes it so amazing is the synchronicity. Yeah. And like how like um, I'm I'm going to sound redundant a little bit here, but just to clarify what I mean by synchronicity, where everyone is making the exact same arm movements, head whips, uh, stomps, like they're all completely in sync, and it creates this um, percussive sort of magic yeah. that you that you can't do by yourself. And like people, like when you're, the chanting that you're doing during it, everyone has the same inflection in their voices right. and the same... Uh, timber. It's it's just a, it's when it's done well, it is a magical thing to witness. Like it is, it, and and there's so much. Um, there's a lot of coded stuff in stepping that that the casual observer may not pick up on. It's um, whether it's a fraternity or sorority, it's them talking shit on the other fraternities or sororities, or them paying tribute to their sister. It's a whole sorority. culture. It's a whole culture. So like when I and I realized that when I was showing it to some friends of mine who uh, white friends of mine who just ne- had no exposure to that world, they were like, well, how is this? different than just dancing when you're like, showing the film or showing no just i was stepping. showing stepping a clips of stepping yeah, online yeah, yeah. and uh yeah because I'm, I'm not qu- quite sure how it is i think it's really rhythmic really percussive yeah it's rhythmic and percussive, but there are also like each but there's a sound element as well there's a sound element and there's also like each organization has their own hand symbols yeah. and it's like you throwing up your hand symbol and incorporating that into a step and then it's also taking other organizations' hand symbols and mocking them. Right. So it's like so there's like a tribal yeah yeah exactly. dance battle kind right. of vibe. exactly. And it's and most of the time it's good natured. It can definitely get a little ugly sometimes. Right. But uh, depending on how seriously people take it, but uh, it is really. Um, yeah, it's it's it's, a, it's so nuanced, and in a way that I don't even think we got a chance to fully explore in the movie because we had to, to tell right. the story and so serve the characters. Um, so if we get, if hopefully we get a sequel, and I can really like get right. into the into the weeds of it. You know, how did that movie come about? Um, so that was so like I was you know procrastinating from writing one day and like down the internet rabbit hole, and I saw a clip online of a white sorority um, winning a step show, and I was like, I called my manager. And I was like, is anyone doing this? Like, why Like, why is no one doing this? Because I, and I'm, I don't love researching. I was like, this is a movie I can totally write. Like, I love Bring It On. Right. That's I, the movie yeah, I thought of when we were that talking was, about it. Yeah. And Pitch Perfect. Like, those were the yeah. inspirations for this meets Stomp the Yard. Right. Um, so I sort of, like, I was like, if no one's doing this, I want to do it and I want to do it fucking badly. And right. so I wrote it, wrote it on spec. We shopped the it. The whole around. script you wrote or yeah. just the treatment? No, no. I wrote the whole script you wrote the whole on thing. spec. Um, and then. Crushing it. Well, well, I, well. Hang on. <laughs> so, hang we, on. This hang story. on. Yeah, you haven't yeah. the whole story yet. We, we sent it out to a bunch of different buyers. Everyone yeah. passed on it. And then um, my friend Lena Waith, who is a writer, producer, actor, everythinger, right. uh, she and uh, Ben Corey Jones, who's a writer, producer, they came on to um, as, as producers. They developed the script with me more and, and got it into a better place. 
we got Charles Stone attached, who's the director of Drumline. Right on. So like he obviously has the aesthetic and the and the um, understands the milieu. Yeah. Uh, of it. And so like when then we went back out with that group package and we got a buyer. So That's like awesome. I, I I owe a lot of I mean I owe that movie's existence to Lena and Ben and Charles. Like they really. They really made it from a stack of paper to a movie that I can't fucking wait for people to see. But they must have loved that stack of paper. They wouldn't have gone. That's true. That That's true. Yeah. They. Uh, well, I think they they loved it, but they saw that like, okay, this is good. This can be outstanding. So did you do rewrites and stuff on oh, it? Tons. Yeah, tons. yeah, yeah. It, it, I think from beginning to end, it was probably three years. But did it? Was it always you? Did they ever? Yeah. No. I. I yeah. I, Unbelievably lucky, and I, a lot of writers can't say this, but like I've the first two movies, I've not been rewritten at all. So that's like, fantastic. I'm, I'm, I, I know that's not going to be a streak that continues right. forever. So I'm just treasuring it now while I can. I love it. Was it big set pieces? Were you on the set going, look at all these people doing this? Yeah. Well, I was only on set for about a week of Stepsisters because yeah. they filmed in Atlanta, so right like, I didn't. They didn't. Um, it's expensive for me to be there. And yeah. plus, it, film is a director's medium, so the writer doesn't yeah. really need to be there. So um, it, I, I didn't spend a ton of time. But yeah, like it was the same thing. I was like, oh my God, I'm a job creator. Like, yeah. I, I, like people are here and, the, and like, you know, they're excited about the roles that they're playing. Like just talking to the different actors who – and that, this was one of the biggest compliments that a few of the um, – because almost the entire cast is women. Yeah. And so a, a couple of the actresses would come up to me and be like, dude, thank you. Like, this is... People don't write roles like this for, for women. Like, if, if you're just the hot chick or... And then you're, you know, you get a couple lines here, but they're all based around right. your relationship with this dude. And this was all about these women being themselves amongst each other, not in relation to a guy. And they were like, I just... We just don't... We don't get offered stuff like that very often. So that, that really meant a lot to me. That is really cool. Yeah. Um, in both Dear White People and in um, Fat Camp, there's a, some gay characters and gay themes that mm -hmm. run throughout, especially the way they interact with other people, with straight people and yeah. stuff like that. Um, is that an area that's important to you, that, that you find rich and personal? Yeah, I think it's very important to me because I we didn't see a whole lot of that growing up right. in media and so and I grew up in Delaware well there's a there's a strong gay community in the southern part of Delaware near the beaches right. but in the northern part in Wilmington where I grew up there really isn't a very visible community like my parents didn't have any gay friend well my mom had one gay friend my dad had one gay friend but I didn't really know they were gay at the time yeah. but uh, so like I didn't have a lot of examples of gay people and so like my only um, exposure was through media right. and so like the real world was a huge huge influence on me because I was like, I sort of thought as a kid, like, oh man, when I, when I grow up and I have to come out of the closet, I'm going to have to go live on gay island because like, right. I can't interact with straight people because straight people and gay people don't mix. Right. So seeing, I was like 11, I think, when the first season of Real World came out. So the, seeing Norm, Norman, who was the gay character, yeah. the gay, not character, the gay guy right. on the show and how all the straight people around him were totally accepting, like interested in even Julie, about, even, even Julie, small yeah, even Julie. small town Southern Julie, the oh, dancer, she's yeah, sweet like, Julie dancer, which, and, and everybody. And Eric, was, do you have a crush on Eric? I had a huge crush on Eric. That was that, that's, that'll be the, the workout video. Since later, the, the, workout the grind, video. Yeah. oh, the grind. Come um, on, yeah, that was that was definitely a great reason to watch Remember the, the show. hair and it kind of flop. Oh, totally, it's a lot to deal yeah. with. Anyway, but yeah, no, it, to me, it's important to show that, like, and and, and in both cases, like. Like the gay characters 
Well, okay. In Fat Camp, the, the, the character's homosexuality is a big part of the character because he's just revealing it. He's just kind of coming out. Right. Um, but in Stepsisters, the character just happens to be gay. Right. And it doesn't really have anything to do with the plot. It's just, hey, gay people are normal people like everyone right. else. So that's why I get so fucking frustrated when people are like... Um, when people are like, you know, you're just, you know, you're trying to forward the gay agenda. Right. I'm like, the, you mean the agenda that we want to be treated like fucking human beings, right? And that we have the same wants and and you know goals and dreams and and pressures that you guys have. Like that's that's all my agenda is, is to show that like, yeah, we're just like everybody else. We just, you know sleep with each other. <laughs> right, there you go. Well, who comes at you with that further in the gay agenda? Uh, like well, online or no, in online, meetings? I, it's, it, I don't get it directed at me so much, right. but it's it's one of those talking points that you see from the right a lot. Yeah. And it's just kind of like, you know, we have stories too and we want them to be told. Like, right. That's, I don't think that's very subversive. I think that's just very natural in the same yeah. way that like, you know, any minority group wants their stories told and wants yeah. to be portrayed not always in a positive light, just in a light. Right. Like they want, they want to, they want it to be recognized. The way I look at it is like this: if you, if you put a TV show in a time capsule and sent it to another planet, then say they sent, they did that with Friends, then the aliens would come here and be like, oh, everyone on this planet is white, and that's and, and straight. Yeah. That's not like that's not reality. And thin. And thin, yeah, and beautiful. And living in apartments they should never be able to afford if they're waiters. Exactly. Yeah. So like it it to me it's just it's more about realism than it is about um promoting any sort of and like when people talk about like promoting the gay agenda, like we're not trying to it's not possible to turn someone gay. Right. What we're trying to do is for the people out there who are gay, say, Hey, look, there's a place for you in the world. Right. You don't have to like, it's the whole concept behind it gets better. Like you have, you can be honored. You can be, you can live a full and happy life around with people that care about you and value you. And, um, and your stories are just as important as everybody else's. Yeah. What was your coming out like? Uh, it was in phases actually. <laughs> right. So it was to, um, I first person I think I told was my best friend and roommate and frat brother. Uh, and he was like, oh, really? Okay, cool. That's awesome. So you like, would have been like college time or this after was college? right after the year after I graduated college. Yeah. Um, and then um, I told, I think my sister was the first person in the family I told, then my mom, then my dad. So my sister was, uh, I mean, like she's my generation, so she uh, was a little bit more accepting of it, but yeah. she was also kind of like confused. Like she didn't understand. I think her thing was kind of, and, and I could be completely wrong here, but I think her thing was like, I've known you all these years. And she said, I've always known something was a little different about you, but I think she was like, how would I not know this? Like, we lived in the same house right. for She felt years. bad about her detective skills. I think so. I think so. Or, or, maybe, <laughs> or this, she, maybe she wasn't paying attention. Or well, she yeah, really wasn't I think that's enough. what it was. I think she yeah. wasn't paying attention. Yeah. Um, my mom was on the surface very cool, but just also very like, I think her biggest thing was, you're already going to have a hard enough time out there in the world as a black guy. I don't mm -hmm. want you to have right. something else for people to shit on you for. Right. And I was like, well, I mean, I, which I understand, but it's like, well, it's, I, I can't do anything about it. It's gonna, I kind of have to deal I with it. I can't untick that box. I, exactly. I got to accept right. reality on reality's terms. Right. And then my dad is actually kind of a funny story. Um, I told him and he thought I was joking for like the first 10 minutes because we, our family, we, we communicate with humor a lot. So he thought I was joking for like 10 minutes. So that was super awkward for me because I was like, yeah. no dad, I'm serious. He's like, come on shut up, whatever. Like, right. and then he just was kind of like, 
He wasn't buying it until you had to. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And then and then he. Um, oh, where was I going with that? So yeah, then then he was kind of shell shocked for a little while, and then it was it, months and months went by before we had a conversation about it again. Yeah. And I talked to my parents together. They came out here to. Um, they had come out here to LA to visit, and so we had dinner one night, and they were just kind of ex- like asking, you know, what about the girls that you because you had girlfriends in college like what was what was yeah. that about what about like, the camp girl yeah and I was like <laughs> exactly it cost you that great honor it cost me the honor and I was like well that was me literally giving it the old college try like right. I wanted to see if you know this yeah. was something that was just a part of me that would go away or if it was a part of me that would live in conjunction with right. a heterosexual part of me or whatever and I was like and the, the conclusion was no I like dudes and yeah. my my Dad, I think this is what really turned him, and I think turned my mom too, but like definitely him. When they were like, Well, why, you know, if you dated girls before, like, why couldn't you just like marry a girl? And I was like, Well, I could, but then I would probably like blow my brains out at age 40 because I was like living a lie. Right. And I think once that they, once they heard it put that way, and they yeah. were like, Oh, this is something that is deeply. Um, affecting you in a way that like you can't change so you have to learn to deal with yeah it's just who you are I think that really got them not on board that's the wrong word but I think it really helped them understand on a visceral level yeah that this was not a phase and it was not a choice and it was you know all the things that people say it is Um, yeah and they really I think it drove the point home yeah now we met in a diversity uh, workshop that was really cool that we both were were um, honored to be in for you, as a gay black man, what's in, in Hollywood navigating? What's more of a thing, or are they not things, or are they? Which one are you more aware of? Which? How does that? I'm more go? aware of the black. I would thing, think for sure, yeah, because yeah, yeah. it's it's just more noticeable from right. afar. <laughs> right, so people are way more able to you know discriminate against. Yeah, you. yeah, yeah. They that doesn't but, take a lot. Of, you don't need a gay dar. Right, exactly. There's no investigating <laughs> necessary. You don't need a you don't need yeah. a black dar. You just need eyes. You just need eyes. Right, yeah. exactly. So I think like. I, I definitely have felt more of a pressure from that. And then, I mean, it is L.A. It's Hollywood. So right. it's a little bit more liberal. People, like, gay doesn't really shock people as much here. Yeah. Um, I think most, not I think most, I know most of the white writers that I've dealt with or write, white studio executives that I've dealt with all have many gay friends. So it's not right. like a novelty to them anymore. But a lot of them don't really have black friends. So it's like there are some cultural reference points that are a little different. Yeah. There are some tiptoeing around certain things that happen. Yeah. And there's um, uncertainty about what liberties they can take to discuss certain things. So yeah. it's, it's it's very it, – it's a lot trickier to navigate that. Yeah. Um, I had a job as a showrunner on this show called Breakdown. Mm-hmm. And it was on the Bounce Channel. And it had been a web series, and then it was going to become a TV series, like a green screen kind of comedy show. And it was um, all like, it was sort of a hip-hop flavored pop culture show, but they were all like early 20s, late teens, African-American kids, Uh and me. Like (laughs) And it was really cool. I learned a lot. Um, But it was like the day I, I mispronounced Tupac. Oh, I mean, you said two pack? I did. <laughs> and it was kind of like, I was like, I'll pack up my things and go down. Yeah. Like, I was like, I, I'm, okay, I get it. That's grounds for impeachment or whatever. Right. Yeah. But it was, it was interesting culturally. And, and um, I, I, I have a really um, soft spot for that job. And they were young. Yeah. So they were always on the phone. Sure. It's like, put, look, the, look up at me. Right. Exactly. Put down Be the phone. present. Yeah. yeah. I'll tell you how, for me, being gay has affected me, I think, as a writer, is that I, the, the things that I write that that 
turn out the best or that that go the distance are the more personal things. Sure. So I, I've tried to write things that aren't quote unquote gay, and they do okay. But the things that really resonate are the more personal ones. And sometimes when people are reading material that they, they don't necessarily gravitate toward the gay material if they're not gay or whatever. It's not that they have any bias. But it, it's, in other words, I sort of ghettoize myself a little bit yeah. by the nature of what, what I, the, the, the stuff that I do the best is the more personal. Sure. Yeah. And I don't know if that's something you relate to at all. Yeah, no, definitely. I, there's um, a quick story. My, I, there was a staffing season where I didn't get staffed and I was broke as shit. And like I was, I had to have a meeting with my manager and I was like, look, dude, I can't have another year like this. Like, what's the problem? What, what, why are we not getting these jobs? And uh, he was like, well, you know, when you meet people in the room, everybody always likes you, but they don't feel like they've read something of yours that's, uh, that really tells them who you are or like shows them your, your vision. And he was like, maybe you should write about growing up closeted in Delaware. And I was like, that sounds boring. But I was like, I will write about like being a non-stereotypically gay gay guy. Like, you know, I'm not. Right. A, I'm wearing a Philadelphia Eagles hat right, right. now. So like, that's. I knew that. Yeah, of course I knew that. Of course you knew that. Go Eagles, duh, bro. And I wrote about that and like how straight people will put expectations on you based on your sexuality. And so, in a sense. I guess uh, to your. I think I read that script. Oh yeah, my gay friend. That was the one that that got into the program. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, So it was. So that to me was like very cathartic, and it has gotten me a bunch of jobs, a bunch of meetings. Like it's it's really been my calling card. It's awesome, and and that's like that is a gay thing, but it's not a fully gay thing because he's the only real. Well, there's one other gay character, but like you know, he's like a romantic interest. But like every, he's surrounded by straight people, and it's him navigating that world. But it and, felt personal. It felt oh, yeah, relatable. Yeah, yeah. It, like it, 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 people liked it, and it worked for you. Yeah, totally. that's awesome. Totally. So yeah, being really being naked on on uh, in, in the stuff that you write, doubling down on who you are. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It Open really, doors, be, and and you just get more passionate about the writing of it. You the jokes. That's are, the thing. That's the place. stuff that when I try to write the thing that's going to sell or whatever, I don't. It it doesn't work as well. Yeah, that's and that and the stuff that I've had the most success with is stuff that I was like, this is my idea. I'm super passionate about. Yeah. That's what I'm not your gay friend was, which is the this script right. that I wrote, and that's what um, stepsisters was like. That 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 people really responded to that. Um, and that was a really personal yeah. thing to me that I was passionate about that I love and like Fat Camp like the you know because I wrote that on spec also so like, you're a hustler man you yeah. were all this stuff on spec yeah I, I, yeah I've only written, I mean I know that feeling but it's still like it's really admirable well it's I think it's thank you but I think it's um, in Hollywood like people won't really want to hire you for something until they've seen it, seen you do the job before yeah so like if I were as a young writer going in to pitch something like they're not they're like well I don't know if he can actually deliver right. but if they have a script in front of them then they can they can see it so I kind of wrote it off as like look I this is what this is what I do I'm a writer I'm right. going to write if somebody buys it, great. If not, I'll write the next fucking thing, and they'll maybe buy that. Right. So, and to the, it's it. But was, that was always sort of your modus operandi. Totally. Like I am a writer. I write. Yeah. Regardless of whether people are chomping at, yeah. at my door. Absolutely. And to the point where now that I'm actually like getting paid before I write, I'm like, this is weird. Like, so weird. why are they paying me? I haven't done right. anything. I know. Yet. Like so, and and but you know that's that's a great place that's to awesome. be because it's, and a lot of the. Um, you know, before when I was writing everything on spec, the impetus for it was like, I don't like where my career is right now, so I have to write my way out of this right. situation. I have to 
do whatever the fuck I can to make sure that I'm going to make more money, that I can pay off this loan or pay off this credit card right. or pay off the, whatever. Like, and so that, that was my, that was my mantra, like write your way out of life that you don't enjoy. Right. And so now I'm, I'm enjoying life a lot more right. because of that sweat before. And I'm traveling all the time and like just really being able to, LA is a much better city when you're not like, yeah. you know, how can I make this $10 stretch the rest of the week? You know, what was your lowest point? Was there a point where you're like, fuck this shit, I'm out? Um, hmm. I did get a car repossessed. That was pretty shitty. Right. Um, and that was, that was while, you know, while I was working as a writer on a, on a TV show. So that was kind of like, I just was... So you would have to figure out a way to get to work. Yeah, exactly. And so I, luckily my parents were able to like bail me out and I paid them back. But right. like, it was, um, that was when I was like, oh, this shit sucks. Like maybe... And, and that was, I'd been at it for 12 years at that point. So yeah. I think I was kind of like, maybe this isn't going to happen. Maybe I picked the wrong thing. Right. Maybe I'm not good enough to make a living off of this. And so that really kind of um, made me do some soul searching. And then it just sort of, but it was on the, on the other side of it. I came out of it like, okay, that was the, that was bottom. Yeah. Only play, only way to go is up. And I need to, again, make sure that that never happens again. Make sure that I never get to that point again. And there was a, there was a, I was almost evicted once too. Like it was that kind of shit. Um, and part of that was because I was too proud to ask for money when I needed it. And then when it became crucial, I had to go begging for it. And and that was a humbling experience, but also a a learning experience where it's like, don't let it get to that point. Right. And it was, part of me was the pride of like, yeah, my parents worked hard for their money. I, that's like, I'm not entitled to that. Right. So it took, and again, always paid them back, but like. It, have them having that sort of a safety net allowed me to take more risks that like I mean, they're not rich by any means right. but like they were able to do it when they needed to to step up when they needed to so they helped I, you out yeah I could I mean I, I would not be able to have been here without that right yeah when you first came to Hollywood how old were you 21 if you could tell that guy anything his first day here what would you say no carbs <laughs> <laughs> no carbs um, <laughs> No, I would say, um, huh? I, okay, I would say you got to have work-life balance at a certain point, and when you're when you're starting out, like you're okay. So mine was kind of too. It was kind of like bifurcated unhealthily because so in one respect, I was like, I have to work, I have to work, I have to work hard, work hard all the time, read scripts on the weekend, write, do this, that, and the other, and then the other time it was like, I am just. Freshly out of the closet in a big city with right. beautiful dudes in it. Like, I'm going to go fucking party and have a right. good time. And so I think it was – there were times when I would go fully in the party mode and then there were times where I would go fully in the hermit rider mode. Right. And I think I would tell 21-year-old Chuck, like, you can do both but you can't do too much of either. Right. You know what I mean? Moderation. Um, moderation. Like, I always say everything in moderation, including moderation. Right. So, like, there are times when you need to fucking go wild. There, yeah. There are times when that's what your soul is requesting, you know? Yeah. There are times when you crave carbs and you need to have a burger. Damn right. You know? Exactly. That's right. Um, but then there are times when you have to be like, hey, like, it's, it's, I need to focus right now. Yeah. I, I can't go to this party. I can't go to, on this trip. I, I just, I have to get this work done. Yeah. Um, so, I think splitting those two in a healthy, even way yeah. is important. Now, I read in your bio, there's another project that you've sold that, that is getting written. It had a fun title. I can't remember. 
Um, Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, the, uh, it's, it's, it actually doesn't have to. It's, it's untitled, untitled something. Untitled Urban Pitch Perfect. Yes, movie, so. I was like, that sounds fun. Yeah, it's super fun. It's kind of the flip side of, of Stepsisters. It's like um, it's it's like Pitch Perfect, but it's um, in like underfunded schools with like black teen singing groups and stuff. So a uh, female, all cool. female. So and it, this was uh, Ti the rapper. It was his idea. Nice. Um, he brought it to the firm, which is a production management company. Uh, they brought me on. Uh, so T.I. and I talked about it and like came up with a pitch for it we went around and pitched it to a bunch of places and then Pepsi ended up uh, being our financier so they funded the script and we wrote it and I think we're pretty close to finding a director right now I love the Pepsi yeah so it's not you're not affiliated with a studio yet not yet. But no, you're, no. you're affiliated with a soft drink. Right, exactly. Good right, enough. Right. Yeah. Check cleared. I will take that. I know they That's got cool. that soda money. So. That's cool. So it's one of those projects that you got paid to write before you... Before. Yes, That's exactly. Awesome. And it was it was during Dear White People when they commenced me. And I, I so I didn't have a ton of time to work on it. So yeah. it was kind of like late. And I was like, oh gosh, I don't know if I... I this isn't my best work. Like I just... And I was kind of slugging through it, and then when I turned in the first draft, I was like, I'm never going to work again, because they're going to be like, Chuck shit the bed, we paid yeah. him all this money, and he didn't deliver. Yeah. And they, they liked it. And so and that really reinvigorated me, and I found, like, I, I had a new passion for that project, right. and I, I went back and attacked those rewrites like a bastard. Like, I was just, I was like, I'm going to nail this. I'm right. going to, like, these people are going to love it. And it's, again, the, the main characters are teenage African-American females and those they don't have a lot of they don't have I mean where's their clueless where's their mean girls like is there one that I just don't know about not not that I'm aware of I mean I guess dope was kind of that for guys but like not not young women yeah young women don't really have that no And, and when and if you do it's like you know pariah or precious like it's so heavy and it's so dark and like that TV's flying out the window. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's intense. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's, it's being able to show the lighthearted and the fun parts of yeah. being a young black woman who's like talented and like doing her thing. Like that, that to me, that's why I really hope that shit gets made because I think young girls need to see that. Yes. What, um, what do you think your super, where do you think your sense of humor came from? Wait, did you have a funny family? Yeah, my family's very funny. I, yeah. I, that, that's why when I came to Hollywood and people were like, women aren't funny, I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, I grew yeah. up around, so, like, my mom, my sister, my aunts, my grandmother was hilarious. Um, a, a lot of women, are, are girls I was friends with in high school were just right. funny, like, not right. funny for a girl. They were fucking hilarious. Right. And so, like, I, yeah, I grew up around, and my, my aunts and uncles are like, to this day when we hang out I'm like oh this is a writer's room like there it's everyone is so sharp and so witty and I just I grew up around a bunch of really smart funny interesting people at school and this was I had a bunch of different friends and different races and social you know groups or whatever but the the thing that united everybody was like we get together and we fucking laugh right and we look at things in life that are ridiculous and we have a blast talking about it so I think it was definitely inspired by that but it was also like I was a skinny little nerdy kid and like, you know, I didn't want to get picked on and I noticed that like the cool guys would take to me if I made them laugh. And so it was like, oh, this is a way to not get beat up. Yeah, it was a defense mechanism. (laughs) Defense mechanism. But it was also a bonding. It was a way to bond with people. that You were were fun to be around. Right. Well, yeah, but I think on a deeper level, like they, and especially like black kids uh, would look at me and be like, oh, he's this nerdy little, you know, white boy who, uh, you know, wears glasses and is in honors class and shit. I don't have anything in common with him. And then when we'd hang out or we'd talk or play football and, and I'd crack them up, like they were like, oh shit, okay. He's like 
a normal dude. Right. So that it, it became, it's. I think it started as a defense mechanism, and then it became just like a great. Um, it's like a superpower. Net. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like it was a great way to yeah. snatch people up. Right. right. That's so cool. Okay, you picked some questions from the observation deck. Who were your team crushes? Okay, we already talked about Eric Nice. Yeah. Um, there was a rapper named Special Ed that okay. I had a crush on, and. Um, uh, That's a really funny name. It's, a, I mean, yeah, it's a funny name. It probably wouldn't be allowed today. But like, uh, and then there was a the guy who played Vanessa Williams, Vanessa Williams, Vanessa's Vanessa Huxtable's boyfriend on the Cosby shows. Okay, actor named uh, Dondre Whitfield. I had a huge crush on him. Uh, it was a guy who played. He sounds really hot. Yeah, he was beautiful. That sounds like a hot guy's name. And there was a guy. Oh, speaking of Tupac, uh, there was there was a. <laughs> Don't confuse me. I'll fuck it up again. I'm just gonna keep saying. Don't it. do it. Don't plan it in my head. Um, there in the movie. I'll just pack up my things. It's been yeah. fun. Uh, yeah. in, in the movie Juice, there was this right. guy Raheem I had a big crush on him, and then there was also I had Marky Mark who I had a crush oh, yeah. on, and who was the other person I was just thinking of. Um, Oh, another boyfriend. Okay, so uh, Lisa Bonet's character on A Different World had right. a boyfriend. Uh, was it her character? Somebody had a boyfriend named Shaza who was yeah. like had long dreads, like beautiful. He, uh, uh, Gary Dorden, I think his name yeah. is. He was on one of those like CSI or, or you know um, one of those shows for a long time. So yeah, those were my. Were you into the Cosby Show growing up? I loved it. I loved yeah. it. Yeah, because it was it, it was like. That was what my it family was like. Your life. That was what my yeah. dynamic was like, and it was like, oh shit, we're on TV. You know, it was yeah. very, um, and, we're, and we're number one, right? Exactly. <laughs> and we just we weren't used to seeing yeah. that side of black family life. We were yeah. only, like, I grew up on reruns of Good Times, and uh, you know, The Jeffersons was kind of like that, but it was a couple. But, but it wasn't class really was family. also it was front and center, you right? Know? Right. It was it was right there on the on the poster. So uh, that that felt really reassuring, and it kind of counterbalanced some of the shit I would get. Like, oh, you're not really black enough. Right. But I'm like, well, this whole family's black on TV, Look and they're, yeah, they're talking like me and yeah. making jokes like you know, like it was. It was Did very, you buy sweaters? No, I didn't. didn't change your sweater. Didn't game. change my sweater game. Good. I couldn't have afforded those. Those were Coogee sweaters. He was wearing really expensive shit. I did not know that. I did not know that. How do you how do you feel now with the Cosby stuff? Does it sort of taint something that you? It doesn't taint what the show has meant to me. Yeah. Um, it does. It does suck that when one of your your childhood idols you find out is like a sexual predator. Yeah. Like that's a really difficult thing to come to terms with. But I don't think it takes away because he wasn't the only thing in that right. show. Right. It doesn't take away. The show was the show. The show was the show. The show was a was a bunch yeah. of brilliant writers. Brilliant actors like Felicia Rashad is probably the most like starstruck I've ever gotten when I met yeah. somebody because it was like I was seeing my mom on television like that was dope. And, That's and, cool. Yeah. So okay, here's another fun picture, okay. question. What did you get picked up for when you were a kid? Okay, well we already sort of talked about yeah. some of it. I was the I was not black enough. I was too girly. I sucked at sports. Um, big glasses. Did you do that thing where I found that I wanted to carry my books like a girl? Like that's where they naturally went. Like here. Like, uh, like this. Like, if I'm walking like around school, the, I wanted to carry them like this. But boys, boys, like, boys carry them down here. I always had so, a backpack, so I don't yeah. remember. I feel, no, I, I definitely, I feel like I carried them down okay. low by my hip, but right I don't on. think it was a conscious yeah, choice. But th- were there th- things like that that you thought, okay, I, this, not this? Uh, you said people thought you were a girl. I know there has to be some, because I was definitely more effeminate as a younger kid. Right. And then I think when I got the, the feedback I was getting from people was that's yeah. not cool and so I sort of I think I butched it up and right. then it kind of just became who I am <laughs> what was your first memory of like 
Oh, I'm different. Um, that's a good question. I mean, different. Here's the thing. Or I like guys, or I, yeah, I kind of no. want to be close to this guy or something. Yeah, there was, I, I remember I had a sleepover when I was like, uh, I don't know, six or seven, yeah. and one of the guys mooned me, and I was like, oh. That was that's, really fun. That's, I, that's, that's, nice. yeah. I like that. And then, I know yeah. it's supposed to embarrass me or be yeah. sort of like a but, diss, but, but... Yeah, what do I have to do to earn that again? <laughs> yeah, like, whatever I did. Yeah, let's... exactly. So um, I guess that's when I sort of knew, but I was like, oh, maybe it's just like a weird little... Yeah. Like a tick. Like, it's not something that needs to be a part of who I am. It's just a weird little little quirk. I love that. That was exciting. What was the most unprofessional behavior you ever witnessed? I witnessed a showrunner once screaming in the face of a casting uh, director because she hadn't gotten the right person that he was looking for. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, yelled at in the way of, like, if it were if he were yelling at a guy that way, like, very close proximity, inches away from the face, it would have been a fist fight. Uh, and that was, to me, it was inappropriate because he's the boss, and you don't do that when you're a boss. That's not a good way to motivate your employees. Also, there's, like, you don't yell at a woman like that in a way that's forceful where her, her safety feels threatened. Right. Uh, so it was just inappropriate on so many levels. Uh, and I just thought that was fucking just awful. deplorable. Yeah. How did you, did you end up on that job longer or how, how did that affect things going forward? Well, I, I had already not had a great yeah. um, impression of this person. Right. Uh, so it didn't, it was. It, I, I wouldn't say it was even the nail in the coffin. The coffin was already. See, there was right. like another shovel of dirt on the oh, coffin. You already <laughs> yeah. knew. That's still horrible to be around. It's gross. Like that. It's gross. What's your idea of the perfect day? Perfect day. Okay, I get to sleep in. No alarm clock. Um, I uh, get up, have a nice breakfast, maybe with a mimosa or a, or a bloody mary or something like that, and then um, it's go, going to the beach, throwing the football around. Uh, then, oh no, okay, okay. so like you, Sundays are using my perfect Sunday during football season. Right. So it's getting up late, going to the bar, watching the Eagles game, riding my bike along the beach, getting some sun, having a couple drinks with friends, and then usually like staying up and watching some movie I never saw on Netflix or something like that before. Very simple stuff. Like, I'm I not, love it. It's not, I'm not a hard guy to please. That sounds good. Yeah. What's a voicemail that was left for you that you played more than once? Okay, my, so my best friend Jamar. Um, he's really funny. He he was at a beer fest. You know, there was like yeah, beer fest. They try all different kinds of beers. Yeah, yeah. Right. So, but by the towards the middle of the afternoon, everyone's fucking hammered. Yeah. So he goes around and he, he takes his phone and he's like, "Hey, fuck you, Chuck!" And then he goes around to all these strangers and he's like, "Hey, can you say fuck you, Chuck?" into my phone? <laughs> and it's like, "Fuck you, Chuck." Fuck you, Chuck. It's like, Chuck, you know what? Fuck you. And then there was like 20 Was it one people, long message? One long message. All different people. And you heard him walking up to strangers and saying, say fuck you, Chuck, into my phone. That's it the was, best. I still have it on my voicemail. It's one of the funniest fucking things I've ever. And I still play it every now and again. I want to hear it. Can we uh, hear it? Uh, yeah, maybe see. Maybe, see if we could bust that out. Well, actually, there was two of them. And I... I by accident, deleted the first one. And I was furious with myself. It's not on the cloud? Uh, I think this was pre-cloud. This was I, don't, like I don't understand the cloud, eight years frankly. Ago. Let me see. I think it's okay. this one. 13? Yeah, I think it's this one. Okay. Speaker. Hey, hey, excuse me, excuse me, fuck you, Chuck. 
say fuck you, Chuck? Hey, Chuck, I just want to tell you, fuck you, man. <laughs> hey, excuse me, excuse me, can you say fuck you, Chuck? Oh, no. Hey, Chuck, fuck you. <laughs> no. Hey, excuse me, can you say fuck you, Chuck, into my phone? Oh, that's ugly. Just say fuck you, Chuck. I don't think I can. Okay, hey, hey, can you say fuck you, Chuck? <laughs> fuck you, Chuck. Fuck you, Chuck. Hey, can you say fuck you, Chuck? Fuck you, Chuck. Chuck. That's so great. That's so great. My favorite thing is the way him asking, hey, can you say fuck you, Chuck, into my phone? Like, it's a very normal request. Yeah, just like, almost everyone was like, sure, I can. I love the girl that was like, I can't do that. That's unbelievable. Please put that in a piece. That should be in a thing, right? It should be, I know. That that brought me so much laughter. You you have an image of, like, drunk people, and every voice you kind of imagine what they're like. That's amazing. And that was from 2013, so I've sat that on my phone for four years. That's so good. I would never delete that. Who would you like to collaborate with professionally? Norman Lear. Yes. I, I grew up on all of his shows. Like, I loved All in the Family, and I loved the yeah. Jeffersons, and I loved Good Times probably the most. Um, and, like, Maud, and, like, the way that he was able to start with one show and then just keep, like, having the tentacles from that show go yeah. out and create all these amazing other shows that were based on small characters from the original show, and they all were, like, really kind of caustic social commentary right. but, but never at the, at the risk I mean, I mean sorry never at the um, detriment of the funny he brought the funny constantly but he brought I mean in, in good times it was poverty it was um, death in the family it was child abuse it was um, uh, uh, you know eviction it was shit like that and then in uh, Maud it was, it was abortion like back when that was a really taboo topic but it never felt like it was I'm trying to remember because as a kid, those were shows and we knew they dealt with issues, but it never felt like it didn't beat you over the head. It, it wasn't didn't fe- It felt like I remember like having a lot of trouble because I had to choose between Happy Days and Good Times. And what was I going to watch? Yeah. You know, like, it, and it was just one of the other sitcoms. Yeah. It's so interesting. Have you seen him speak? Uh, I, I saw I, him at a thing once with Chuck Lorre. Oh, he really? was so amazing. They were back and forth uh, at the Writers Guild. They were so great. And, and it was great to hear him talk. Um, what does your family think of your success? Oh, they, they could not be prouder, and uh, I think, excuse me, um, I think that uh, they, and like, so my dad has a, more of a similar sense of humor to me, right. where it's a little bit more irreverent. My mom is definitely a little bit more conservative, so she, I think she would love to see me write stuff that's not so profane, right. or that has a little bit more uh, social, yeah. con- like, like uh, I don't know, like, why don't I write the biopic about the first black airline right. pilot or something yeah, like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I think while she would like to maybe see me do it, and she loves Dear White People. I think this yeah. is the first, the first thing that she's like, wow, like, this is what I think, I thought you've always been um, uh, capable of. Right. And, and it's good to finally see you do that. And she actually read I'm Not Your Gay Friend not too right. long ago, and she was not a fan. <laughs> like, not a fan. I had to explain to her, because there's like a masturbation and right. like, you know, all this other stuff in it that she's just not really comfortable. Like, why would you... Because on the on the cover page it says based on a bunch of shit that's happened to me in my life or whatever. Yeah. And she's like, why would you tell people that like that's what's happening? I was like, because a it's what's happening, and b it's 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 something you don't see all the time. Right. So, if you tell the truth. Yeah. As a writer. Sure. I remember seeing um, the first Queer as Folk show, mm-hmm. uh, the, the British, British one. one. Yeah. And I ended up knowing Russell Davies later, which is such a great thing. But um, at the time, I was. Thinking as a writer, like, oh, I need to twist this, and I'll make it a teenage witch, but I'll be putting all my gay stuff in there. Sure. And I watched that, and I thought, oh, we can tell the truth. Sure. We yeah. can do that. You know? And, and so, I don't know if I've always done that, but it was such a 
great message to take away. Like, oh, we don't have to twist it to make yeah, it palatable. To make it palatable, exactly. Yeah. And, and I think when you do try to make it palatable for people, that's when you lose. It, 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 it loses a level of authenticity, and it like whenever you're dumbing yourself down, yeah, it, it, people aren't going to respond to it as well. Yeah. What kind of driver are you? Aggressive. Yeah. So my thing is I don't like getting places. I like being places. Right. So if you're one of those people who's doing 50 in the fast lane, I, I, I want to run over you with my car. Because right. it's like the, fa- the left lane is for moving fast. And right. If you want to move slowly, go to the right, right and just get the fuck out of my way. I and like I will go – You know, I'll, I almost never go the speed limit. I usually right. go a little above because it's like – I want to get to where I'm going. Yeah. Like that's, and, and, and I don't drive unsafely. I'm not like texting. Right. I'm focused on the road. I'm looking in my rear view mirror. Right. If I see a bike, a motorcycle coming up behind me, I'm giving them some birth so they can get by. Right. Like if I, you know, if I see somebody trying to merge, I'll slow down and let them in if they're going at a speed that I find acceptable. Right. Like, it, like I'm, I'm a collaborative driver, but I want to fucking get where I'm going. So but yeah, so, you're not off in the zone. You're, you're, no, you're I'm not, not off. off in never, thought, never, never, lost never. in thought, puttering around. Nope, I am. I am on top of it. Ten and two. I am ready to rock. Yeah. And if you're not like that, I just would like for you to move out of my way. Right. I, I, I don't think that you're a terrible person. I just no. want you to move out of my way. Yeah. Exactly. So you have new tattoos since yes. I saw you. Yes. What's going on? Okay. So the first tattoo I it's got. It's on your arm, and there's several tattoos. Yes. It's on the top part of my right yeah. arm. I love it. The first one was the uh, quill, uh, quill for writing. And uh, inkwell for writing. Yes, and so that I just had that one. Right, and then I thought, like we were talking before about, like it's a writing is a crazy profession to try to pursue. Right, and in order to do, like. I was fortunate enough for like my grandparents, um, they had a college fund for me. And then when they passed away, they, their, their life insurance money went to me and my sister's college education. So like I was able to- Where did you to, go to college? Syracuse University. Right on. So yeah, I was able Vanessa to- Vanessa Williams on Yeah, the exactly. Vanessa I love her so much. I can, I'd love to work with her. Uh, I, I once to asked her to dance at a Halloween party when I was like, when I first came to LA. Did she say yes? No, she Aww. didn't say no. She said, I'm a little tired, but thanks or whatever. She was dressed as pebbles. What made me go ask Vanessa Williams because when to you dance? see Vanessa Williams, you have to do that. Why would you uh, not do I that? I don't know. I'm I don't so think you, new Don't to beat LA. yourself up, man. I know. Anyway, um, anyway she was nice about rejecting me. Well, that's she seems yeah. like a classy gal. That's right. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah. my Her brother's cute. Oh, yeah. I worked with him on One Big Happy. Chris, he's really fucking funny. Those eyes. His eyes are piercing. Like a, like a, oh, my God. Like little diamonds. It's so cute. Yeah, it's anyway. Um, yeah, so I was able to to pursue such a ridiculous career because right. of the, you know, the work that my, my family had done and awesome. establishing like a nice baseline for me. And like I said before, like I could, if I needed to borrow money, I could, or, and like, we didn't have any student loans because my grandparents, like their savings and their, their life insurance stuff, like all, you know, went to our college. So, um, I kind of wanted to honor their profession. So my grand, my paternal grandfather was a caterer. So this is a chafing dish. I love that you and have a tattoo of a chafing dish. Yeah, I've got a chafing dish. And then my grandmother, his wife, was a janitor. So that's a mop and broom there. Amazing. And then my other maternal grandmother was a receptionist. Uh, so that's like an old school uh, yeah. switchboard. Switchboard, yeah. And so she fun. was doing that while my grandfather was in medical school. So that's a uh, stethoscope there. Right. And then my mom, my dad was a... Um, Director of Child Support Enforcement for the state okay. of Delaware. So that's like a baby's hand inside of an adult's hand. Yes. And that's like a symbol for like child support if you look yeah. on different people's sites. And, and then the, the bottom one The bottom is- one is my mom was a speech therapist. So that's a, a mouth with sound waves going into an ear. 
That's amazing. Yeah, so it's real. Where did you find the pictures? Like online? I went online and I worked with this awesome tattoo artist yeah. named Marlon who's at um, That's so Alchemy cool. Tattoos in Silver Lake. Little All shout right. Out. I'm yeah. going to take a picture of it and post it with the podcast on the okay, site. Okay, for sure. They're and awesome. My, actually, my family hasn't even seen I got these last three, like, Wednesday, so like, oh, cool. they haven't even seen these, and they don't know any of this story about like what what all this stuff means. So after you got them, did you feel a little different? Well, I, I just felt like I you never know how you can honor your family and like, right. show them that you appreciate everything they've done for you, and it just felt like I can't. And I'll see them next week. We're gonna we're going on vacation together. Nice. So I'll be able to show them like. Hey guys, like your your hard work, You're with your me sacrifices, all the time. yeah, like it, they weren't lost on me. Right, I'm it's... not. I don't feel entitled to anything. I feel extremely fortunate for what you guys have been able to provide. So that's that's the, the only way I could think of to be, to be like. Yeah, it's yeah. great. It's a great symbolic thing thing to do. Um, do you feel like there's a Chuck Hayward brand? Like, oh, he writes about this kind of thing, or. One that you like or one that you feel like other people see in you? or You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I think there, if, yeah. Certain people have certain areas. I write a lot about friendship. I was just about to say. It's friendship and uh, group dynamics. So, yeah. like, in um, Fat Camp, it's a cabin full of campers. Right. Um, Stepsisters, it's a sorority. In um, this Urban Pitch Perfect uh, project, it's uh, singing groups. Right. Um, and then in pretty much everything else, it's just friend groups. Like, I, the notes that you get a lot of times from studios or from networks is, like, well, you know, make make the relationships relatable to people. Like it should be her brother or their sister or the, like like family is the only thing that people can understand yes. a connection for. I take the opposite opinion where friendships, I think, are you choose friendships. Yeah. So if they don't work out, you can tell those people to fuck off and never talk to them again. Right. Um, so there's more work that goes into maintaining those relationships than there is for family sometimes sometimes family can be as contentious yeah. you know as friendships are but like when when you can when you can walk away at any time i feel like it instantly adds stakes to keeping a group together right and i'm, I'm fascinated by what everybody brings to the table and how something that may annoy you about a friend uh is actually what endears them to you the most or what gets you out of trouble at some point or what um, helps you grow in, in a certain way. So I, I just I find that shit so fascinating, and I'm lucky to have a like I said, a, a, still as as I did as a young person, like I have a very ver, like varied group of friends right. that we that, are, that very rarely converge if ever, and we just all sort of have different things in common, and everybody always brings something different to the table. So. Yeah, I love that. Why do you write? Because uh, I'm not really trained or qualified to do anything else. Right. I majored in TV, radio, and film at Syracuse. So, like, I it's I just I don't know what nothing else has ever like when a lot of kids when we were younger were out like playing sports and stuff. I was inside watching TV and watching movies because I just loved being able to tell a story. I loved that like if I was having a shitty day, this movie or this show would cheer me up. And I was like, if I can provide that for somebody else i feel like that's paying it forward in such a such a fun way um and i just i because i've been fortunate enough to be surrounded by so many different types of people like i have a lot of different stories to tell and i want to tell them so yeah and it feel and and especially people whose stories don't get told very often yeah. i want to tell those stories especially because it's it's um it's not something you've seen a million yeah. times and it gives a voice to the voiceless so I love it. yeah i've i really like I just I, I don't know what the fuck else I would do. Even if, if I wasn't writing TV and film, I would probably write like advertising copy or like I don't know uh, newspaper columns or something. Like, right. I, I just it I, I love words and I feel like that's a really good way to 
you know, express yourself. Express yourself. Yeah, I love it. Um, I forgot to ask you about this. You worked as an assistant on Entourage for a while. Yeah, I was an assistant on a couple different shows. Yeah. Yeah. What's your best memory of being an assistant on a show? Um, that's a great question. Uh, well, this is it's kind of the best memory and the worst memory. Yeah. It's really scary on Entourage. My boss, uh, his friend, had a Bentley. That he was um, oh my letting... Oh god, this sounds like a risky business story. Yeah, yeah. Had a Bentley where he was lending to one of the actors on the show um, to see if, if the actor wanted to purchase a similar model. So I had to go pick up the Bentley from this actor's house. And this actor lives up in the hills, and it's really narrow streets and windy shit. And, and so I'm pulling the, the Bentley out of this driveway, oh and my there's god. a cement wall that borders the, the driveway, and... It's, it's on such a steep grade that, like, when you go to shift gears, like, the car lurches forward. And I, I must have been inches away from scraping the entire front fender of this <sighs> thing. And I was like, I, I'm either going to be fired. Like, I hope I get fired. Right. Because if I don't get fired, I'm going to have to pay for this. Right. And yeah, a scratch on a Bentley is fixing that is, like, a month's salary for oh me. And money is not falling out of trees. No. So, like, it, it was... But you didn't end up... I didn't. So, like, it was... <sighs> Fear, fear, push to the brink, push to the brink, and then by some majestic grace, I was able to like avoid it. So it was, it was, it made me feel really grateful. It made me feel terrified, then grateful, then happy. You know? That's also a scene in a in a script. Oh yeah, for sure. Where somebody with all the money in the world is I trust somebody that's struggling to do this thing yeah. that feels that's just so like uh, not. A, it's a different world for that person. Anyway, uh, this is my last question. Sure. Um, you have two movies made this year You on this really cool show. Did it feel for you like, oh my God, this is what I've been working so hard for? From the outside, it kind of looks like a new level or a new sort of thing. Did it feel like that? It's, it definitely... Okay, it's a tough question because it, it, it definitely feels different in that, as my agents and managers say, now we're more in the incoming call business than the right. outgoing call business, which means that, like, oh, people are... Oh, hear that. Yeah, it, that fucking... That's great. <sighs> and it's not like... I don't have the... I don't think I have it in my DNA to be like, I've made it. It's smooth sailing from right. here. I, what it what it affords me is... I get, this helps me work more. Right. And the better... Like, the more I turn in drafts that people like and the more agreeable... Like, the more fun I am to work with, with right. executives, with directors... The more they'll tell their friends, oh, this guy is not only yeah. talented, but you're going to enjoy working with him. It's just going to help. I just, all I want to do is work. Yeah. Like, I want to be, I want to have multiple projects going all the time. I want to be like, oh, I wrote this really, like, like Dear White People, it's, it's like the, the tone, the undertones of it are very heavy. It's about yeah. racism and discrimination and, you know, um, love triangles and shit. And then I'm working on a pilot with my friend Annie about, like, um, a, a, two friends who can't find love in LA so they go on road trips every weekend to different cities and try to find so we're like we're not eat pray love we're that's a really we're, good we're idea drink, actually slay love yeah, yeah. <laughs> so like we're and, and there's a frivolity to it that's a really nice yin to the yang of, of uh, dear white people and it's 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 you get to sort of scratch every itch if you have a bunch of different projects going because each project has its own vibe and it's its own 
issues that it's unearthing for you. So it's always therapeutic and it's always fun, but it's never the same thing twice. That's awesome. Yeah. How can people learn more about you? Do you have a, do you tweet and do any of that stuff? Uh, I don't tweet very often. I tend to do Facebook posts more okay. than that. And right. I do a lot of Trump rants these days. There uh, you go. But also like just showing fun, traveling stuff and hanging out with friends. And you know, I, 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 I don't utilize social media as That's much okay. as I should. We, I just, it's weird. It's yeah. a little loaded. I just um, want I would like to live life, not yeah. show life to everybody else all the time. Yeah. You know what I mean? But if you're in line, in L.A., you might want to catch Fat Camp. It's a lot of fun at the L.A. Film Festival on June 21st. And then it's coming on video on demand. And also watch for Stepsisters. Yes, indeed. All right, Chuck. It's been so fun talking to you. Yeah, thank you thanks, for giving me Dennis. so much time. Of course, I'm really dude. proud of the moment that you're having. And, and I know how hard you've worked for it. Thank you, man. That's I appreciate awesome. that. I appreciate that. All right. Bye. Bye. Yay, Chuck Hayward. That was a lot of fun talking to him. And now I kind of think I want tattoos, but I probably won't get them. Okay, so this happened. I want to get a plug-in for a play that I saw in L.A. called The Pride. I went with my friends Danny and Glenn. It's showing at the Wallace Annenberg Theater. It's a gay story that kind of goes back and forth in time. And the acting in it is really good. And uh, I was so inspired by it that I decided... One of the characters' name was Oliver. And I decided after the play that I'm like, damn it, I am going to go to the Resistance March which they did in L.A. this year instead of a pride parade. Um, and I was kind of, I wanted to go, and then I didn't in the crowds, and I'm like, no, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it for Oliver, who was the character in uh, The Pride, because he can't march. Not because he died or anything like that, because he was in another era. Never mind. It's not important. But um, go see the play. But I did decide to go to the Resistance March, but I got there a little late, and they were all <laughs> gone except my friend Danny was there and we walked the we kind of trailed behind a little bit but we did do the same path and we were uh fired up and ready to go as they say but when i came out of the train station to sort of greet the gay marching people there was just what i saw was this row of beautiful asian women women in gorgeous orange gowns posing for a photograph they all had the matching dress and it was like I came out of the tunnel and I thought I was going to be in Gayville. And I was like, it was like the Joy Luck Club uh, photo shoot, Rotary Club. I don't know. They were some organization. They were gorgeous and beautiful. And they're like, you know what? It's not every day they shut down Hollywood Boulevard. Let's get into our beautiful dresses and take a picture. But, um, you know, that's just part of the magic of Los Angeles at Pride Time. All right. Thanks for listening. And I'll catch you next time on Dennis Anyone. Bye. Bye.